Max Holloway is a genius. Colby Covington is a penis. With the fired selections and the fired reflections, this is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, the podcast for the average MMA fan hosted by an above average man. And I am that man. My name is Juice. And let's get started. Had kind of an interesting week in um, in the world of MMA. Not too exciting, but there's a lot of great stuff to talk about, especially coming out of this uh, card with 240. Um, a few weird news stories, so we're going to get into that. But most importantly, the most important part of this podcast, the forum, um, is packed with tons of questions from you guys, and you guys are the best. So, just to start things off, um, I didn't cover the prelims really in my last episode. There wasn't anything that jumped out at me as that, something that could be an amazing fight, but there were some interesting stories I kind of overlooked, and it really played out in the prelims. So, uh, first of all, that Figueredo pantoja fight rightfully deserved fight of the night i tweeted out that it should be um cyborg versus spencer i think that was uh, in the moment i was like well this guy this fight's fucking awesome and it was and we'll get into that that was a really good fight i think it's really a toss-up between the two um but um i did love the figueredo um pantoja fight great stuff from him um and we're gonna get to what's next for him in the forum um but i fuck i mean dude anyone who comes out with that god of war um Look at a haircut, but the di- fucking dye job or whatever with the with with the red stripe. I'm I'm into it. God of War is a fucking badass game, and he's a badass fighter. Um, how do you say it in Portuguese? Dos de Guerra. That's what his um, nickname is, I think. And how about Hakim Dawudu versus Yoshinori Horie? This is interesting. The whole time that um, they were saying Horie's name, I kept thinking they were saying Poirier. Let's be fair, I was a little drunk, but uh, I was like, why does he keep saying Poirier? It's Hori, but I guess it's Horier, as you pronounce both vowels. Uh, interesting debut from this gentleman, um, Yoshinori Horier. I thought um, it was kind of a sacrificial lamb set up to you know make Hakim look good on home soils. He's a Canadian guy. But man, he came to fight, and that weird movement was giving him a lot, or was giving Hakim a lot of problems early on in the fight in that first round. And Joe Rogan would not stop talking about leg kicks. He's like, Hakeem's got to be throwing leg kicks. He's got to stop that movement. Why isn't the corner calling for leg kicks? Uh, let, let, let's have a th- throw. Oh, there's one. Yeah, keep go- keep throwing leg kicks, Hakeem. Why doesn't he do that? Forget the hands. Just throw leg kicks. And then the corner was calling for, um, I don't know, something like put, put on the pressure, land. And what is it? Why didn't they call for leg kicks? And here's the thing, dude. Joe Rogan is such an important part of the UFC. He is... A big part of why it um, is even where it is today, I think. Um, Dana White apparently said that um, Joe, uh, Joe Rogan did the first 15 UFCs he did for free. Um, so so that was awesome. Obviously, he's good friends with Dana going way back. And he brought a lot of the crossover audience, which helped grow kind of you know the casual fan base. He you know was the host of Fear Factor and a very successful stand-up comedian and, and did some acting as well. So um, Joe Rogan deserves a lot of credit, but... Um, now that the sport has grown and now that other broadcasting talent has emerged, I think it's time we talk about other 
people getting on the mic um, from time to time. Obviously, they're, they're going to, um, you know, for the rest of his contract, they're going to always give him the pay-per-view slots. He's already um, said he's not going to do the fight nights. He doesn't need to be traveling. So he, he himself has already kind of taken a lighter schedule um, in light of that. But I think he's just getting burnt out. He does so many of them. And he does the podcast. And he has this kind of stream of consciousness style that he'll just... Um, He'll just go off on a tangent or whatever he thinks. And I thought um, that gentleman's name, uh, Sean O'Connell, the guy who won the first season at light heavyweight of the PFL and uh, now is um, their head play-by-play guy, he said something interesting. Now, he's a um, sports fanatic, and I couldn't give a shit about sports ball. Um, If you don't get punched in the face, um, it is not a sport I follow. Um, I guess that kind of discludes hockey. I like hockey, but I don't follow it. did I say discludes? I meant excludes. Guys, it's early. Now, uh, Sean O'Connell did say something on um, Ariel Hawani's show that was really interesting to me. It might have been on MMA Reporters, but either way, it's it's Hawani's show. Um, he said that a lot of broadcasters are afraid to live in the silence and let the fight be the soundtrack. And while I don't always agree with that, I think it's a very interesting notion and that more people need to kind of learn from that. A lot of people feel like they're, and then maybe it's pressure from the producers. Maybe the producers are in their ear, um, you know, saying, you know, talk about more, talk, talk about this more. Um, certainly, you know, they are in John Anik to say, you know, brought to you by Modelo or this round is sponsored by P3 or whatever. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a, that's a crazy thing. There can be less commentary and it's fine dude it's fine but i'll save my thoughts on that for another time um but hakeem dawudu fuck i'm usually so good with names hakeem dawudu looked great um and he gave a really fired up post-fight interview and apparently he was doing some scrums in the back saying why the fuck are you guys saying max is the face of canadian mma i'm fucking from canada so i think he he probably starts making a run in, in that division he, I don't think he's gotten a ranked opponent yet. I don't know if he's ranked himself. Let's pull up the rankings real quick. Da, 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 da. Nope, don't see him in there. So, yeah, I think he should start making a um, making a run at that top 15. Maybe since uh, Mirsad Bektik is coming off a loss, um, they'll give it to him. He's currently at number 15, so we'll see. Interesting stuff there. And and lastly, the the other the only other prelim that jumped out at me, and I can't believe I missed this, was uh, Gavin Tucker versus Choi Seung Woo. Now, this was something that I was intrigued for on the on the night of when I saw it was on the card. I was like, oh, how did I fucking miss this? Gavin Tucker in his last fight was at um, I believe two fifteen in Edmonton in that same arena, and he fought a guy named Rick Glenn. And I think Gavin had early success, but then Rick Glenn just beat the brakes off of him. And the referee was fucking sleeping during that fight. He was uh, on drugs or something. The referee let him just take a beating. He had like multiple facial fractures, uh, concussion. I mean, the guy was terrible. He was not in that fight. And uh, it it looked like a fucking uh, potential murder case. You know, what are we doing here? And and we'll talk about that with his two recent um, deaths in boxing that that came out. Those stories. I mean, this is just awful stuff. But and this is like 
from two years ago, so I'm not going to harp on it. But after that, I was like, dude, when are we going to see this guy back and how is he going to look? So he took basically a two-year layoff and I wasn't sure how that was going to affect him. Now, he definitely came out more technical. He wasn't as willing to brawl, but I don't think he looked gun-shy um, at all. And he, he looked great. And he, I think it was in the third round, got that rear naked choke over, over Choi. Looked really good. Apparently, he, he got his black belt now. He switched sides when Choi was defending. He flattened him out. I mean, Choi didn't look like he had much to offer uh, Gavin Tucker. And not to say that he looked like um, terrible against it or was like a completely lopsided performance, but Gavin Tucker just seemed to have an answer for everything. And he was someone that I was really excited for when he made his debut. He he put had a like put on master class against Sam Cecilia, and I, I kept thinking like, wow, this guy's gonna be great. And apparently, uh, before he got into fighting, he was a jazz musician, uh, which is something that I really like. And then he like, sold all his guitars and everything to to be able to tr- to train mixed martial arts and and make that his his passion. So. Um, I was I was hoping for great things out of him, and that Rick Glenn fight would just sort of put a damper on everything. So really happy to see him back in there. Uh, that was an awesome performance. And I was talking to uh, the Raging Sweet Potato on Twitter, um, JB Dixie. If you guys don't follow him, you should. He's a fucking awesome um, follow. Um, I was like, is everyone from um, Halif- uh, from Nova Scotia this tough? And apparently he's actually from Newfoundland. But he's like, yeah, Newfies are that tough. Dude, that's awesome. All right, moving on to the main card. Um, Mark Andre Barriolt versus Christoph Jaco. This is a, you know, decent way to kick off the main card. Um, I thought Barriolt looked great in his debut against Andrew Sanchez, and that um, Christoph Jaco um, got a much needed win in his last performance. But I wasn't sure how he, he was going to come back, and I was I was actually thinking that they might have given the nod to Barriolt based on like you know a little bit of home cooking. I kind of thought. Jotko edged it out personally, but it was very close. And I thought maybe because of the hometown judges that there was a possibility Burial was going to take that one. But um, credit to Kristoff, he he got the win, so he's uh, becoming a staple in this division. And I want to see more from Mark Andre, and I just have a bad feeling that that after two in a row they might cut him because. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of other names out there, but middleweight's not the deepest division, so there's a good chance they do keep around, and I and I hope they do. Um, maybe him versus uh, I don't know someone like Marvin Vittori or the fucking Italian guy that he beat the shit out of um, Alessio De Chirico. Maybe they should make that fight. That'd be a fun one. And then um, sad, a little bit sad for me, uh, one of my favorite fighters on the card, um, Olivier Aubin-Mercier versus Armand Sarukian. Dude, I love the Canadian gangster. Um, when he wins, it's 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 good for me because he's uh, he's hilarious and his post-fight interviews are great. So I really wanted to see him get the win. But I did. I I was very well aware Armand Sarukian in his last performance was awesome. Uh, so he really put his um, his grappling on display. And Olivier, toward the end, was finding success in the striking. And I just, I was like, I wanted to shake him. I was like, why, why didn't you do that earlier? Um, but, I mean, his main weapon is his grappling as well. So I think he just sort of was like kind of an ego thing. I don't know. But, dude, Jeff Neal versus Nico Price. That was exactly 
what I thought that how that fight was going to play out. Not in terms of the result, just in terms of the action and what happened. Um, I was so glad uh, didn't disappoint. Sometimes uh, we see a matchup on paper where we're like, oh, that's a guaranteed barn burner. Um, <laughs> cough, cough, Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. And then it disappoints. I mean, um, so I was really glad that it did not. Uh, Nico Price, I don't think his stock is going to go down at all after this loss. I think they saw that he he came to fight and that, um, I don't know, I think that the accidental head clash seemed to change the course of the fight a little bit. So I don't know, maybe Jeff Neal um, is just a little bit tougher on that, but he did, he did catch um, Nico with the right hand there. And um, we were so close to seeing a double knockout. That was crazy. Certainly a double knockdown. But um, kudos to Jeff Neal getting that... Um, Getting that TKO, that ground and pound was brutal. And the fucking, this is like another thing that uh, um, I think Rogan deserves some credit for because um, Jeff Neal's corner uh, leading up to the stoppage, they kept calling for him to pass guard. They're like, pass, pass, pass. And then Rogan was like, why are they telling him to pass? He's landing good shots here. And then he was right. They, um, they did, um, he did get the stoppage. I think Big Dan was the one that, that stopped that one later. I would love to know what they're saying. This is why we need a fucking ref cam. This is why we need that audio. Maybe we'll come on the thrill and the agony. Um, I don't do so much a good job at uh, watching those because we kind of move on. There's just so many cards. I almost wish they would release them like the next day. Just kind of figure that shit out, UFC. Get the thrill and the agony out sooner because um, I want to know what they were saying. He was like laughing and joking with Big Dan. I was like, what a cool guy joking with the ref after uh, after he... He pulls another guy off of you, which, of course, he was upset. I, I think they asked Jeff Neal in the post-fight press conference. They are like, what did he say? He said, oh, he said the F word really loud, and that was it. So that kind of shit makes me laugh. Dude, Chris Cyborg versus Felicia Spencer. This was awesome, man. And there was a lot of, like, people that were really high on, on Felicia Spencer because of her debut, and they were like, oh, she's going to shock the world. You never know. And I was like, guys, just because Cy- I mean that that whole you're only as good as your last one um, psychology in in MMA is just so terrible in my opinion. Uh, Chris Cyborg is not overrated at all. I don't know why anyone was saying that. It seemed to be somewhat of a narrative. They're like, oh well, Amanda Starcher, so that's it. Uh, let's just throw out her fucking 13 year undefeated streak. Let's just throw that out. Let's just forget about her. Like, dude, Amanda becoming the greatest. Uh, female fighter in mixed martial arts is because of defeating Chris Cyborg. She took that title from her. You know, we we can't say um, Amanda's the greatest and that Chris Cyborg is terrible. You know, that discredits Amanda's win. That discredits her uh, position as as the greatest of all time in that regard. So I, I was expecting Chris to do good things. Now there was a little bit of a question of where her mindset at, um, but she looked. Like, she learned some lessons from that Amanda fight. She was patient, uh, but she wasn't gun-shy. That was exactly the performance I wanted. And I thought she could have even gotten a finish. So that's credit to Felicia Spencer uh, being tougher than than most people realized. Um, Obviously, other than the dick riders. But um, she was great. And and this, this is the thing that sucks about that division is that it's so shallow that you have to rush um, people into fights like this. They would not put normally someone that's um, seven and zero against someone uh, of Chris Cyborg's stature of her caliber. They wouldn't do that. Um, it's just something you have to do. So if they start signing more featherweights, I know Megan Anderson has a um, 
has a fight lined up for the Adelaide card, not the Adelaide, sorry, the um, the Melbourne card, wherever, wherever they're booking that um, Izzy versus uh, Robert Whittaker fight. Um, so they are starting to build some steam. And they asked Dana White in the press conference about this. They said, um, are you actually going to commit to that division? They they mentioned the, the Megan Anderson booking. They mentioned that, um, um, that matchup. And he said, yeah, Amanda Nunes, the greatest female fighter of all time, is the champion of that division and 135. And she's very adamant on wanting to defend both belts. We are 100% committed to that division. So that's it. I mean, uh, not that we can always take Dana at face value and everything he says, but for sure, um, I think we can uh, we can agree on that one. And then on that note, before I get into the main event, I, I did want to um, say something else about the um, the post fight press conference that intrigued me. Uh, Dana White on TMZ a few weeks ago, or maybe it was one week ago. I don't know. Um, some the 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 schmuck on, on the other side of the camera at TMZ. By the way, TMZ is garbage. I mean, it's absolute garbage. And then, but that's all you can find Dana in these days is because it's such a major like um, media outlet uh, and that that the casual audience really gravitates toward. Um, it feels like they just have Dana's number on speed dial and they're like, hey, year round. And he's like, yeah, come find me. I mean, that's the only really Dana White interviews we're getting these days is just a little minute and a half clip of him on the sidewalk waiting for the valet with fucking TMZ. Um, but he said that um, he doesn't like the Masvidal fight because um, for, for Conor McGregor, he doesn't like uh, Conor versus uh, Jorge Masvidal. He said that because Masvidal's too big. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You want to protect him. Um, so I kind of heard that and was like, yeah, we can pretty much count that fight out. Not that I was like clamoring for it, um, but um, if Masvidal doesn't get the title shot, um, that's kind of the only fight I'd really want for him other than the Edwards fight. And um, I kind of thought that was done. But then I was listening to Chael Sonnen, the American gangster, you know, good friend of the show, and um, he said that that piece of information, the way, he, the way Dana poo-pooed it, if you will, was actually telling. He said that, he said, um, Masvidal's too big for Connor. And he's, he brought up a great point that that would sort of um, poke at Connor's ego. And he was like, You don't think Connor's going to be mad at that? You don't think Connor saw that and called Dana right away and said, Fuck you. You don't, you don't think he's too big? He, th- he thinks that Dana strategically said that to kind of stoke the fire a little bit and kind of get people talking. And I was like, Wow, is Dana White an accidental genius? Because in the press conference, they said, What's next for Connor McGregor? Uh, which I wish these cucks would stop asking that at fucking um, press conferences. They're like, oh, Connor's been tweeting. He tweeted about Max. What's next for him? I mean, shut up, dude. Let's stop talking about this guy. But he referenced that interview. He said, uh, oh, I think I, I said that uh, is too big and Connor didn't like that, but I still stand behind it. So it makes me think that they might do something um, with that. I don't know if they're actually going to do the 165-pound division. Maybe. Because Masvidal said he was promised a title shot, and um, who knows if he'll get it. So maybe that's kind of their, their way of like satisfying uh, two parties, you know, satisfying Connor by putting him in a title fight. And sometimes maybe they do the inaugural 165. I can see that happening for sure. Um, especially since he said too big, you know, you kind of do a little bit of it's almost a catchweight, but it's not a catchweight. So that would be some fun stuff. But that was a bit of a tangent, so sorry about that. It just seemed like a natural segue when I was talking about uh, Cyborg and Dana and that whole thing. But um, 
And Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar um, was an awesome fight. And um, t- Frankie's toughness was on display, but also Max's fight IQ really was the story of this fight, I feel. Because um, Frankie's wrestling um, is one of his best attributes, and he certainly was using it. And I don't know the exact statistic. It was something like he attempted 13 or 16 takedowns somewhere in there and only got one, um, which is... Not surprising. I mean, Max Holloway had at one point a streak of, of, of stopping like 27 takedowns in a row across, you know, eight or nine fights. So he's very hard to take down and very hard to keep down. You know, he pops back up. So the size difference was was on display a little bit too. And, and not so much as I thought, though. I remember thinking going into this that Max Holloway is obviously one of the bigger uh, 145ers and that, um, you know, obviously he, he had that. 55 pound title fight with Poirier and he fought at 155 early in his career before he got to the UFC so he is a bigger guy and Frankie although he fought at 155 the story was that he was finding his natural weight and not cutting weight um, and that he um, was a natural 45er but now the way people are getting better at cutting weight it seems like he's a a little on the smaller side for 145 compared to the rest of the division and though and although um the thing we love about Frankie is that he fights these guys without cutting weight. He he fights bigger guys and and somehow dominates them. The story after the fight, what seems like what people are clamoring for, is for him to go down to one thirty five. And we're definitely going to get into this in the forum, so I'm not going to share my thoughts on it too much right now. But um, I'm not opposed to it. And again, it's like one of those things like we kind of just got to see it to believe. I mean. Frankie is not done yet. He said that, and, and his answer was interesting too in the press conference because he said that in his post-fight interview in the cage, um, he said, I'm not done yet. I still got more fights left in me. And I believe it was Mike Bond or some cuck. They were, they were asking him, when you, you can tell how much I love that word. Um, they said, when you said you weren't done, was that directed at any particular group of naysayers was it directed with the fans with the promotion is there anyone that you, that you were saying i'm not done too did you felt like you had to, to to prove yourself to or whatever and he said i guess i was saying that to myself which i thought was just like incredibly honest and um you know he obviously was a little emotional saying that so you could tell it was from the heart heartbroken for frankie man that was um probably his last title shot unless he can make a run at um 135 it's it sucks because he did um get called out by henry cejudo i think henry thought that he could beat max holloway that if the frankie would be max and that he wanted to challenge frankie for the 145 belt i mean get out of here but um so in a way i'm happy max won (laughs) because i don't think they'll book henry cejudo versus max holloway let's pump the fucking brakes on that one but overall, I think Max winning is good for the division. He's an active champion. He wants to um, defend his belt multiple times. And he didn't take a lot of damage in this fight. So I could see a quick turnaround against uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, the, all the media has been, been talking about wanting to or suggesting that the UFC might put that card as a co-main to the Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya thing. Dude, Alexander Volkanovsky is a great guy, great fighter, nice guy. He is not a big enough star to make a champion defend their belt on uh, on uh, 
enemy territory. Or he's not, he's not going to go to to Alexander's um, home home territory to defend his belt. Why would he do that? So I hope they make that for UFC Hawaii, which is obviously very far away. So it's not even a possibility, but um, definitely stateside, somewhere like Vegas, that will be fun. Uh, Max has fought in Vegas, you know, a bunch of times. So, so we would love to see that. I guess I'm just a little sad because I really want Frankie to win. So my um, my commentary on it seeming like a little bit uh, the energy's low. So I apologize for that. But credit to Max, he did what he had to do, and it was interesting. Like a lot of people were predicting a finish. The people that thought Max would win thought he would finish Frankie. I didn't see it personally because Frankie's dog tough. But in there. It looked like Max was maybe playing a little safe and that um, maybe he could have at least um, tried to finish him more. Um, not not saying he was like a, was like a lackluster performance in any way. It just seemed like maybe he was a little bit safe. And that could be a couple things. I mean, he did say in the post-fight, pre- uh, post-fight interview and a little bit in the press conference as well that it was kind of like to prove everyone wrong. Um, Amanda Nunes said this against the uh, in the rematch against Valentina Shevchenko. She was saying that um, everyone was doubting her cardio and they're saying that, that you know um, Valentina's pace was going to be a factor in the, in the championship rounds and that um, she wanted to prove. And that seemed like the same story for Max that he wanted to um, prove himself to the uh, the the fans and the media, Frankie's fans anyway, um, that were saying that um, his pace was going to be too much for him. And so he's like, well, let me go the distance. Fuck it. I mean, Max is the kind of guy to to play with fire like that. So I could definitely see that happening. But I but so I think it could be one of two things. It could be that, or potentially, you know, he's coming off a loss. So he he really wanted to get this get this nice win, solidify that, and. Like I said, he definitely wants um, Frankie on his resume, given the whole BJ Penn stuff. He felt like he had to get that one back for Hawaii. So that was that. Um, UFC 240 was not a sleeper. It wasn't like a boring card. I said going into it that it wasn't a pay-per-view worthy card. I kind of still stand by that. Um, But the prelims, I think, made up for it. I I didn't mention earlier, but Jillian Robertson got a nice win. Um... I think I just didn't mention it just because um, it, it looked like the other girl, Frota or whatever, was, was going to take over with her jiu-jitsu from the bottom. You know, Jillian looked like she was in some bad positions for a while, and then she ended up getting a TKO, so so kudos to her. And overall, it was a great night of fights. I had lots of fun, and I'm excited to talk about what's next. So with that, let's take a quick break, and we'll get into some current events. And we're back. All right, first up is Brendan Lochnane uh, just signed with PFL. And this is interesting to me for a couple reasons. Obviously, he didn't get the contract on the Contender Series. And I and I thought Bellator was going to make a big push to sign him. They want to crack that uh, European market. They're already big in the European market, arguably bigger than the UFC. But that million-dollar tournament is pretty enticing and a guy like Brendan Lochner, I think, can do really well in there. And so I hope he, um, I hope he does well, and I wish him well. And I think that kind of signing is something that will entice me to watch PFL more. I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't gotten into it that much. Um, I don't think it's, it's, um, I don't think I'm a casual for for not fucking watching PFL. I just think um, they need to do more. Um, more on building their fighters and more on um, building interest 
and storylines. Yes, their whole um, gimmick, if you want to call it that, is is the tournament and how it's all you know sport over entertainment. And they have some awesome fights. I mean, um, the gentleman that knocked out uh, Ray Cooper was awesome. John Howard, I believe, that was a great fight. And uh, Kayla Harrison doing her thing was cool. You know, so they they do have some good moments, but um, not enough for me to want to keep watching until the playoffs. Which I hate saying that because it's such a fucking sports ball term. But um, after watching Brendan Lochnane put his fucking health on the line and and um, and not get a contract for going for a takedown, I want to support him in everything he does. So fuck Dana, um, up the PFL. That's what I say, as far as that goes. So whenever Brendan Lochnane fights, I'll be tuning in. Sometimes you sneeze on air. And it's not pretty, but it is what it is. All right, next up, this is something that I debated whether or not I was going to talk about because a lot of my thoughts got aired out on Twitter and um, a lot of other people have already talked about it just because of the timing of the news and um, when uh, the other podcasts release their content. Um, So a lot of thoughts have already been out there on this. But obviously we got to talk about it. John Jones facing battery charges again. Dude, are we going to sit here and pretend that John Jones is a good person? No, absolutely not. There was a warrant out for his arrest. Now, Dana has said that, oh, I saw the video, so it's kind of sad. It looks good for John. I mean, Dana is probably John Jones' biggest fan, so... That's not surprising. But I say, let's see those videos, Dana. Let's see those. If, you, if you're so confident in them, let's see them. Someone in the press conference asked him as well. This was interesting, too. In the post-fight press conference last night, UFC 240, um, he mentioned those videos. And I think it was Mark Ramundi was like, any chance you want to, you have those videos on your phone you want to show us? I mean, kudos to him for at least asking, shoot your shot, right? But... Uh, I'm not one of those people that says, uh, oh, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Let's see, you know, enough stories. Dude, if if someone made a case, a claim against him, a fucking woman felt violated. She felt he was putting his hands on her. She fucking, you know, he was choking her out. I believe her. I believe, I, I don't doubt it for a second. John Jones is a huge piece of shit. So sorry if you're a John Jones fan listening, but he's a piece of shit. What can I say? He's probably the best fighter on the planet, but he's a piece of shit. I mean, seems to go hand in hand these days. Talented fighters are just fucking up lately. But I guess that's that's it as far as my thoughts on that. This whole uh, current events uh, segment is going to be really dark because the next thing that um, the next thing we got to talk about is those um, recent deaths uh, in boxing. Um, I don't want to um, um, disrespect those those um those fighters by mispronouncing their names i believe it was maxim dadashev um if i'm if i'm getting that wrong please let me know i uh, certainly don't mean to um there was one of them but um m- more so on that i want to talk about the mentality and you know the mentality behind it and what what it'll bring uh, someone posed this question on twitter and and, and g uh, credit to her g from state farm she tagged me and it says you know you guys should get in on this too um, they said with the recent deaths in boxing, will it cause early stoppages in MMA? And I had to sit back and think about that for a little bit. 
And the answer ultimately, like a short answer, I think is no, but maybe. And I've said this before. I'm an advocate for early stoppages rather than late stoppages. You know, I I don't always think you need to have a a fighter take extra damage just to prove a point or just to see if they can grit it out. I think if they're in an uncompromised position, you know, getting shots rained down on them, then you got to stop that fight. But um, I know I'm sort of in the minority on that. And I, and I don't think, you know, the high-level refs and, and, and the high-level refs like Herb Dean, Big John, Mark Goddard, they train other refs. So they really all kind of have a lot of the same mentality when it comes to this is that um, they have to call it like they see it in the moment and not take other factors into account. Um, I said this after the Herb Dean stoppage. Uh, last uh, couple weeks ago with the Aspen Ladd situation, um, Aspen Ladd versus Jermaine Duranamy, I said that Herb Dean is a guy that pays attention all fight week and watches um, the weight cuts and everything, and that he could have been taking Ladd's weight cut into effect. But actually, after hearing a lot of different uh, reports and different takes on it, um, you know, they said that Herb Dean has made it very clear that he does not actually take that into account. And I know he does... Um, monitor that stuff for their health and safety, but he calls it like he sees it in the moment, and that's I think very important to um, you know to be biased in that sense. But ultimately, the refs have fighter safety in mind. It has to be number one. It has to be number one. Fighter safety. So you can't you can't not say that the um, the deaths are going to um, play a factor. They have to. Uh, at least subconsciously, you know, as a ref, you have to be following those stories. You have to be seeing that and saying, well, damn it, what the fuck are we doing here? Um, But I don't think, I don't think you can use that as a crutch. Like, obviously we don't really hear from the refs when they make a bad call. Um, We certainly don't um, praise them when they make a good call. So it's really a thankless job. But um, when it comes to that, I think they're definitely... Um, going to be taken into account. But what I was going to say is that if they make an early stoppage um, and um, it's criticized, they can't say, well, look at what happened a few weeks ago in boxing. I mean, it's just not a good defense as far as, you know, defending yourself from, from the court of public opinion. But you have to feel like it, weigh, it weighs on their consciousness. You have to feel like it affects their um, their subconscious mind. So I hope so. Um, I hope it causes um, slightly early stoppages. I, I don't, uh, I, I don't uh, cry early stoppage very often. I, I don't think it's something that we should, that we should do, unless it was a submission and it wasn't fully locked in. I mean that's fair. But uh, as far as like TKO, if the ref saw what he saw, he saw what he saw, and um, we don't know, we don't know what he saw because they won't do a fucking ref cam, and that's it. That's it. They're not going to do a ref cam. We have to take the refs to their word. So. I, I, I guess I hope it does cause early stoppages, but not in a bad way, you know, just in a fighter safety way. Because here's the thing. The refs have to protect the fighters from their cells. You see a lot of fighters uh, before fights or even afterward, they say, he's going to have to kill me to get out of there. I'm willing to die in there. Brian Ortega, after the Max Holloway fight, said, I would have died. I would have died in there if they didn't set the fight. I would have kept going until they, he fucking killed me. And I don't doubt him for a second. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's hype. I don't think that's promotion. I think that's honestly the true warrior spirit in them. And that 
is so disrespectful to the fighters and their families, the families of those fighters who have perished in the ring. And we don't have them in MMA yet. Thank God. But are we going to wait until that happens to stop? Are we going to sit around and wait for a death before we take we change our stance? You know, Pauli Malignaggi said in the leading up to the Artem fight, he said that boxing fans were, were more respectful because their sport has all the deaths. And I thought he was being crazy and um, disrespectful to MMA fans um, because I think a lot of MMA fans are generally more intelligent than boxing fans, um, not fielding questions on that. But he has a point. After seeing this, he has a point. It changes the mentality. It changes your outlook on things when people are actually dying in the ring. Because they can say that now, now that since no one has died, they can say, oh, I'm willing to die in there. Oh, I'm going to give everything I got. I'm going to go till the wheels fall off. But dude, wait until one of your teammates dies. Matt Mitrione fought a guy named Tim Haig in the UFC. Tim Haig was cut. Uh, he wasn't a very successful fighter. He had a boxing match, I believe in Edmonton. This is apropos. I believe it was in Edmonton, Canada. He died after that fight. Let that sink in. There's been no deaths in the UFC, but a UFC fighter has died from uh Punches to the head, basically, from from excessive brain trauma. So I think we need to change our outlook on these things. I'm someone that is a proponent of non-censorship. I don't think things should be censored. I don't think um, the commission should be policing pre-fight talk. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. But when it comes to fighters saying, I'm willing to die in there, we have to take them at their word. We, we can't say that it's just hype. And we have to keep an eye on those fighters. I said that the refs had have to call like they see it in the moment, and they do. But when, when a fighter has, is saying that, he's going to have to kill me, a red flag has to go off, and you have to protect that fighter from himself. You as, your, as, as the coaches have to do as well. That's the thing. We put so much um, onus on the refs to stop the fights, we forget that the corners in, in most jurisdictions and most commissions have the ability to stop the fight. We need more of that. We need more of Trevor Whitman stopping the fight. Uh, uh, Nate Marquardt in Mexico City. He stopped the fight. Uh, Nate said, I'm done. He said, okay, you're done. Big John, stop this fight. That's it. We're done. Not fucking Raquel Pennington's coach. Raquel saying I'm done. He'd be like, no, no, no. Just go back in there. You, you got you to gotta fight. You got you to gotta do it. Fuck that. Fuck that guy. I know I'm I'm being I'm getting a little too worked up on this, but I think a greater conversation needs to be had about it. And I'm not I'm not gonna stop watching, obviously. This is my passion. I love this shit. And I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep it one hundred, as the kids say. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it real with you guys all the time and I'm gonna always share my thoughts and um there's times if there's a, a sick ass knockout like that fucking Ben Askren one uh, versus Jorge, Jorge Masvidal I'm going to be like yeah that was a fucking amazing um he almost killed the dude I'm going to say shit like that probably 
So don't so don't point to this episode if that happens in the future and say, well, you said that. I'm just saying we have to take these things into account and we have to remember where what what has happened and we have to remember how lucky we are and how grateful um, we are that we get to watch these fighters put their health and safety on the line for our entertainment. And this would be a great segue to talk about the Nick Lentz versus BJ Penn fight. But let's just have a little bit of break in between that. I guess a little bit of a palate cleanser, if you will. Um, the last thing I want to talk about that before I get into matchups is um, Nick Newell signing with Bellator. And um, again, this is going to be a little dark because I'm going to um, go on a little bit of a tangent here. But this is a this is good news and bad news for me. Or there's good things I like about it and there's things I don't like about it. Things I like about it. It's another chance for him at a big show. I think Bellator is is um, is easily the number two promotion behind the UFC. Um, they put on very big fights. You know, some of their cards do better than some of the UFC's cards if they compete. So there's no there's no question. So I like that, but it's a one fight deal, and I want to say I don't know this for a fact. I want to say he's fighting in the prelims. They're doing it to sell tickets. The fight he's fighting at is in Connecticut, his home state. They're trying to use him to draw audience because he's a he's a draw. He, people care about his fights. They get interested. He's a huge favorite in, in Connecticut. They love his fights. Everyone in the tri-state area is going to come out and watch this guy. But they gave him a one-fight deal. Are you kidding me? Now, if he wins this fight, and I think he, by all uh, accounts, can and should win this fight, maybe they re-sign him. But they're doing essentially what the UFC did. They're, they're saying, okay, yeah, we'll give you a shot in the contender series, and then if you win, we'll talk. That's what they're doing here. Can we just give Nick Newell a fucking chance here? Can we give him a six-fight deal and say, see how you do in these fights? If you win, if you lose three in a row, we can cut you. But if not, we'll let you do your thing. He's a damn good fighter. And, and to do what he does with one and a half arms, it's fucking inspirational. And in the fact that he finishes all of his fights with a rear naked choke, that's amazing. He's a BJJ black belt. He's a college wrestler. He's got incredible tools um, and an incredible record that is deserving of, 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 of a Bellator deal, not just a one-fight deal. But the other thing I didn't like about this fight is the way that ESPN announced it. I, um, I got a you know, notific- notification from the ESPN app that says, Congenital Amputee Signs with Bellator. Hey, ESPN, go pound sand. Hey, ESPN. If you're going to announce a fight, just say the name. I mean, are we are we announcing Greg Hardy's uh, fucking debut as a convicted felon signs with the UFC? Are we, or, or, well, he's not really a convicted felon, but you have my point. Are, are, we, are we just listing people's uh, biggest uh, description of them as, as the headline? Are we just going to say, uh, oh... Um, Former WWE superstar signs with the Bell, signs with Bellator. Just say the name. Just say Nick Newell. People don't know Nick Newell. I don't know. Kind of annoyed me. But I guess um, ESPN is really tailored to the uh, casual sports audience who's looking for updates on things that kind of watches MMA, you know, on the side and mainly focuses on football and basketball. And they're saying, oh, the general amputee. Well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll check it out. So so I hope that does draw eyes for, for Nick's sake because, 
the more interest in this fight, the better. So I'm probably jumping the gun on that. But I just thought that was disgusting when I saw that. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? It, it was also coupled with the whole one fight deal thing. I didn't like that. You know, just, just give the guy a fucking real contract. He deserves it. When you got people like BJ Penn fighting, Nick Newell can be fighting in, in the UFC and in Bellator. Fuck it. And speaking of BJ Penn, they've signed him up for a fight against Nick Lentz. Now, I can't think of two people I dislike that would possibly be in the same weight class more than these gentlemen. So it's so weird that they're making this fight. But it does have a history behind it, so I kind of get it. But at the same time, no. The only thing that makes me sort of okay with this fight is um, the story that's come out and Dana said in, in the press conference of you know, post-UFC 240. Um, and I think uh, probably Mark Ramonde or someone from ESPN wrote a story on it. They said that he had a conversation with BJ that he didn't want to book BJ for a fight. You know, he tried, wanted to convince him to retire, but BJ hounded him for like a week and was texting him for like three days straight. And like I said, a long conversation about this fight. And BJ said, I, you have to book me in this fight. I need this fight. And then he said, without, without a, I will retire um, after this fight. It'll be, it'll be my last fight. And I think that's what BJ Penn needs. Um, when they first announced it, before that story came out, I, I thought that they were, they were doing it to sort of beat the fight out of him which I think is the only place, is the only way that that's going to happen. Uh, his, him retiring is to have the fight beat out of him, really, which is sad. And and come on, do you want to remember your your legends as getting brutally um, KO'd or, or stopped in you know record time in, uh, in their last stretch? He's on a seven-fight losing streak, which is a UFC record. He's absorbed something like 1,300 shots to the head, which is a UFC record. I mean, come on. Do we need to do one more just to put a stamp on it? Not really. But I guess the story behind this fight is that um, Nick Lentz and BJ Penn trained together. Uh, BJ Penn brought him out for one of his camps. And um, I think he split his eye open or something. He hit him and, and something happened where Nick Lentz got injured. And it was like, fuck it, we should, we should fight. And then uh, BJ Penn uh, blamed a lot of his stuff on Mike Dolce. Um and they had a falling out, and Nick Lentz is, I guess, friends with Mike Dolce, and he works with him also, so he was like, well, fuck you, i got to defend his honor, which is very weird. Um, I don't know, I just don't like Nick Lentz. I mean, I, I have reasons for that, but I don't think I need to get into them. Uh, I probably will um, whenever this fight happens. I don't think they have a date yet, but... Um, yeah. Ugh. I'm so not looking forward to this. I might, I might, um, I might not watch... Because if you if you think that's a winnable fight for BJ, I, I, I why convince me, please. If you think that's a winnable fight for BJ, tell me how, and I'll and I'll tell you. Um, first, tell me how, and then tell me where you get your drugs. Because I want some. I want it. I want those drugs. If you think BJ Penn will be Nick Lentz, come on, UFC. Why are you putting me in a position to say Nick Lentz is going to win a fight? I don't want to ever be in that position. Jesus. All right, but now that that fucking terrible uh, shit is out of the way, let's get into some good news, in my opinion, some fun news. Um, 
Dominic Reyes versus Chris Wyman was made official um, to headline UFC Boston October 18th. I love this fight. I love everything about it. Um, I think Chris Wyman should have moved up to 205 a long time ago. Um, I think probably after um, he lost to Yo Romero, he should have moved up. I mean, he, it was very clear he wasn't going to get his belt back. You know, they did give him the immediate rematch um, against Luke. He pulled out. Obviously, Bisping got the shot, and we know what happened. So, so given that whole storyline, once it was made clear that, that they weren't going to book Chris Weidman again in a title fight without getting stringing some wins together, I think he definitely should have moved up to 205. I mean, this is something that people were calling for way earlier in his career, um, even before he signed with the UFC, because he had um, wins in wrestling over the likes of uh, Phil Davis and Ryan Bader, uh, you know, 205 staples. And um, he was like, no, I was a little small for 205. I'm going to go to 185. I mean, he's someone that probably ruined a chance at that division by destroying his body, cutting to 185. And now he's taken uh, uh, a lot of damage, in my opinion. So um, him versus Dominic Reyes would, be, would have been a fun fight a couple years ago. And um, now it's looking like it could be a showcase for Dominic Reyes to get a title shot. You know, the fight game is all about the, the young up-and-comers pushing out the old-timers, and I think that's what they're trying to do here. That said, I'm a Chris Wyman fan. I love Chris Wyman, and I hope he wins. And I think it is a winnable fight for him. I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion that Dominic wins. Um, but uh, uh, I just wish he would have moved up to a five pound, uh, 205 pounds sooner. I think I think they should have waited and did the, uh, the rematch between him and Luke at 205. And now that's never going to happen because Luke got his jaw broken. That's what I have to say about that. And then the last matchup that came across my eyes that I wanted to talk about was Jeremy Stevens versus Yair Rodriguez to headline UFC Mexico City. Um, that's happening September 21st. Dude, they need to figure that fucking division out. I mean, there's so many possible matchups that um, you almost got to roll the dice and, and just sort of see. But I, I thought for sure they were going to do Yair versus Sabit. Um, if not, I thought maybe, um, maybe versus Brian Ortega. But hopefully, Jeremy Stevens and Yair means that um, Zabit is either going to fight Korean Zombie or Ortega is going to fight Korean Zombie. And I'm here for any of those matchups. I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. I mean, let's not really because we're just going to get ahead of ourselves. But uh, I guess the fight's been offered to Brian Ortega. <laughs> the MMA dude has been very vocal about this. He's turned down the fight. Scared. Um, but dude... Jeremy Stevens uh, is one of my favorite fighters to watch. Um, his interviews are actually really um, awesome because he's really honest. Um, him talking about, uh, I think it was after the loss to Aldo when he talked about um, going into depression. He, he, he said he was going to leave his family. You know, he didn't think that they wanted him. You know, he was contemplating suicide. I mean, such a great interview. Um, if you, if you go back and listen, it was, um, it was right before the Zabit fight. It probably would have been the week or two prior on, um, Ariel Hawani show. And, um, he was just so open. He talked about this program in, um, Vegas that he went to. That was like a leadership program that was just helping you build to be a better person and, and set goals and get your life in order. And I thought it was a very cool, um, program to hear about. Very awesome interview. And I guess he turned Miles Jury onto it because Miles Jury was talking about it as well. 
And Yair Rodriguez is someone that I, I loved watching. And then when he got brutalized by Frankie, everyone kind of forgot about how good he was. And then when he turned on the Zabit fight, or allegedly, um, and then was cut, um, I think he left a bad taste in the fans' mouth. And then to to capitalize on that um, nice win over Korean Zombie, it would have been great to book him like right away. You know, of course, they they were in a five round war, and he, his body probably wasn't ready. But um, you know, I think I think they should have capitalized on his momentum more. So I, I don't know who's to blame for that. But um, Jeremy Stevens versus Yair Rodriguez is fun as hell, and this is going to be almost a year. I mean, it's going to be ten months. Um, uh, removed from the Korean zombie fight that he's going to get back in there. So I hope his cardio holds up. He better, uh, I know he's from Mexico, but I think he's living and training in Chicago now. So I, I hope he, um, or he's bounced around. So maybe who, who God knows where he is, but um, I hope, I hope they both go out to Mexico city um, at least a month prior to get that elevation training in. But goddamn, that's going to be a fun fight. I can't wait. That Mexico city card's shaping up to be pretty nice. And I, I love um, I love the cards in Mexico City because there's a lot of finishes. A lot of people are like, you know, fuck elevation, fuck going the full distance. I'm just gonna finish it early, and that's what ends up happening. It's awesome. Um, so sorry, sorry that I was I was too dark on a lot of those news. Like, dude, that whole death in boxing, those those couple deaths that happened, it really didn't sit right with me, and I, I felt like I had to say something. So um, I apologize if if that wasn't your cup of tea. Um, obviously. That's not going to be something this podcast focuses on um, a lot moving forward. So let's get into the fun part of this show, and let's take a little visit to the forum. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Fighting With Myself forum. This is my favorite part of doing the show. This is why I do the show, uh, is to get um, you know some interaction between five fans, create some dialogue, and um, just overall kind of build a community. I want this podcast to be interactive and... Um, I have the best uh, listeners in the world, I think. You know, you guys are so awesome as far as interaction goes. So with that, let's get into the first question from uh, an old an old uh, friend of the show. Um, here we go. Hola, Jules. It is your good friend, Pete Dog. You do not like my Mexican heritage? You racist piece of shit. Hey, buddy. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Roxy. Got work. Got fucking work Saturday night. Love you. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that was an awesome uh, little, uh, I don't know a question at all, just a little message. Appreciate the hell out of that guy, uh, PTD, um, which until recently did not know that stood for Pat the Dog. I just thought it was cool. Uh, dude, Patrick Shaheen is the man. If you guys don't uh, listen to his podcast uh, with uh, Cole Henry, Scope MMA, or MMA Scope, what you doing? Um, he's alluding to their last episode. Um, he did that whole character that he did in the beginning of this, and um, it sounded like he was trying to speak, actually, not, not to do an accent, it sounded like he was trying to speak Spanish, and it was coming off terrible, and so I tweeted him, I said, dude, stick to English. I love you, but stick to English. And what did he do? He fucking Dana White said he doubles down and says, hey, you don't like it? Take a hike. Uh, gotta appreciate that. Never apologize for comedy when it's actual comedy and not just a fucking dumb joke on Twitter. Um, but uh, love you too. I am still sad about Roxy. Don't talk to me about it. Fuck you. Uh, love that guy. All right. Um, and I love this next guy too. Um, he has he has some good questions here. 
What's up, Juice? This is the Punk Rock Dad. Um, literally watching the end of the fight right now, and um, just really want your thoughts on where do you think Frankie goes from here? Do you think he sticks around at 145? Do you think he goes down to 135? Because um, I don't think in any way, shape, or form that he's done. I don't know what Joe Rogan's talking about at 37. All of a sudden, he's going to be finished, like Randy Couture's fighting at 42, 43. Anyway, just uh, wanted to get your thoughts on where you think Frankie goes from here. And as, uh, as always, uh, only way is MMA. Screw you. Uh, we all hate you. You have no friends. Um, no, I think that's it. Rock on, everybody. Except for you. Only way is MMA. You can go fuck yourself. Oh, the shade continues. Gotta love it. Um, love that guy, by the way. AJ the Giant's dad on Twitter. Um, Punk Rock Dad King. Um, very good follow. And um, as far as that goes, I think, I mean, you kind of even maybe heard a little bit of the fight going on in the background. He said he was watching the fight. I don't know what Joe Rogan was saying on, on the mic as far as uh, commentary. So um, I don't know if he was saying that he should be done because in, I was kind of tuning him out to be honest, because in the actual interview with Frankie, he suggested maybe move to 135. He didn't say that he would be done. He said, what's next for you? He like during, dude, during, uh, Uriah Faber's, uh, fight with Dominic Cruz at 199, the, their third fight. Um, yo, Joe Rogan was basically like pushing him out the door, suggesting he should retire. I mean, Joe Rogan does not shy away from that sort of stuff. So I don't think he was actually calling for Frankie to retire at all. Um, so I, I don't know what was happening. I did sort of think maybe before the fight that if he lost, he might retire. Um, not that I think he should just, just, I just thought that given the landscape of everything and he's never a guy that um, wanted to, to cut weight that he would do it because w really what's left for him? He's done everything at 155. He became a champion, defended a belt multiple times, and um, he's had multiple title runs at 145, which haven't gone his way. And he's kind of beaten everyone in the division, really. Um, he's not going to fight Zabi. That's his teammate. Um he's not going to really fight Volkanovski, at least not right now. Volkanovski is going to fight for the title next. So, I mean, what really is there? So maybe he has to take some time off and see if the division kind of reshuffles and maybe there is some other matchups for him. But the whole point of, of, a, of a fighter's job, really, what they should be striving for is the title. And, and I, don't, I don't think that um, only title fights are interesting. I don't, I don't think if a title fight, or, or sorry, I don't think if a non-title fight um, has no title implications that it's not a fun fight. Um, but um, ultimately, that is the goal. And someone who is a former champion and had aspirations of being a two-way champion, that's certainly on his mind. Now, before the fight, I, n I never thought I would say Frankie should go to 135 because um, one thing we love about Frankie is his willingness to fight bigger guys and not want to cut weight and fight, you know, more more hydrated. But his coach, Mark Henry, who I have a lot of respect for, um, has been pushing for him to go to 135 for a while. And I think, you know, um, I think he does work with George Lockhart. And so I, I think that um, with the right nutrition and the right plan, he could make a successful cut to 135. And that's about the only thing I see for him as far as this juncture in his career, because he could definitely make a fight with Cejudo happen with just a few wins, uh, maybe even just one, to be honest with you. I mean, they gave Frankie um, his first fight with Aldo, I believe, coming off a loss. Um, you know, when he, when he moved back down to 145, I think they just made that fight happen, so... I could definitely see um, him making a run at 35, but I'm, I'm not like 
super bullish on that because um, I don't necessarily want to see him cut weight, but I honestly can't think of a matchup for him at 145. That's something that um, intrigues me, uh, really. I mean, I'm always going to support him. I'm always going to watch him fight, but as far as like an intriguing matchup that's beyond just the fact that I love Frankie, I, I, I can't really think of one at the moment. So um, to answer your question, probably drop into 145. And I think he had another question. Let's let's hear what he has to say. What's up, Juice? It's the Punk Rock Dad. And today I want to talk to you about zero tolerance. Uh, in light of all of these UFC stars coming out with charges or pending charges or, you know, some kind of criminal misconduct, do you think the UFC should really start to adopt, like, a zero tolerance policy about all this stuff? Um, I know it's a little different than, like, football and whatnot in the way these guys are employed, but you still work for the company. Shouldn't the UFC be doing something to kind of keep people like John Jones and Connor and all these guys in some sort of line? All right, as always, rock on. And uh, Chris, Scotland, you fucking suck. God love it. Man, I've been thinking a lot about this, actually, and I'm glad you brought it up. Because the way their their contracts are structured, it is very differently. And um, I was thinking about this when I was listening to the MMA Scope, actually, with the aforementioned uh, PTD and Cole Henry. And uh, they were saying, you know, if it was in the NFL, Roger Goodell, the head of the commission there, the commissioner, whatever you want to call him, um, or whatever his title is, I'm saying, I mean, I have no fucking idea. I give a shit about football. But um, they were saying, you know, if something like that happens with one of uh, his athletes, pull up, they'll pull you into a meeting sort some shit out and you're like immediately suspended or, or maybe even cut. Um, so that, that's kind of like the, the sheriff in that, um, in that sense, judge, jury and executioner, if you will. And the way the UFC, um, fighters contracts are structured, it's weird. They're, they're on a, they're on a fine line between independent contractor and employee. The UFC always hides behind that saying that they're independent contractors, because that's kind of what, um, the combat sports world has to, function as um but with the stipulations they put and with the way they run their business you are kind of an employee so they have to do something about it and it, and, it, and it's so sad that drama sells in combat sports it's so sad that um all this drama surrounding john jones makes people want to see him get his ass beat even more and greg hardy and then people of the like so should they have a zero tolerance policy in my opinion Yes, or at least to some effect, they got to do something better than what they're doing. Um, they can't just say, "Oh, well, what he does out of the cage is his own thing." You know, just come to me, come come fight for me, and we'll, we'll be okay. I mean, you're basically rewarding shitty behavior. So, what the fuck, man? I don't know. I honestly would like to talk more about this. I, I, I mean, I don't want to be talking about more stories that come out. I don't want to be talking about more allegations from other fighters, but I would like to continue this conversation. I think it's a great point you brought up because something has to be done. And I think what I really would like to be talking about is a fighter's union. Um, Leslie Smith is really the only one banging the drum about that. And um, Cajun Johnson was right there with her, but they he got cut. Um, and I haven't honestly seen anything from him. I don't know if he's been signed by another organization. I honestly don't know. I haven't heard a peep. So, yeah. And Ally Quinta was kind of with them, but then the UFC started liking him and putting him in, um, you know, main events and stuff. So, um, he kind of was like, Hey, actually guys, uh, forget the union, huh? 
I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what it seems like anyway. So who knows, man? Uh, that's something that should be talked about with the, with the union because if if the fighters unionize, they can collectively bargain and get someone on their side to put uh, institute a policy like that. So that's kind of the only reason that's going to happen. It's sure the hell ain't happening under the WME regime. Uh, at least before a union, I'm saying, like in, in the current regime with Dana at the helm and uh, WME, IMG not giving a fuck about anything, uh, it's definitely not gonna not gonna happen soon. So we'll see about that. Next up from uh, another old friend of the program. myself podcast it's Smokey J here from Australia uh, during that coverage UFC 240 man it was announced that the fucking assassin baby Brandon Marino will be fighting down in fucking Mexico City in all the excitement I missed who he was matched up against and I guess that's yeah that's my question who'd they match the assassin baby up with man and also while I gotcha something that's been on my mind for a while what flavor do you consider yourself man what flavor is juice bye Oh man, what a great question! Couple questions actually. Uh, I love Smokey J. He's the man. Shout out um, hashtag Bad Drawings. Thank you for uh, plugging that at the at the start. Um, all promotion should be shameless, in my opinion. And uh, first off, the, he's fighting Asker Askarov, I believe. Um, I talked about that guy a few episodes ago. He he got signed. He's a, like a Russian um, flyweight, undefeated, I believe. And so so that's who they're booking him against. And um, I'm very excited for that fight. I love I love the assassin baby. Brandon Moreno is someone that I, I wanted to see in the UFC, like, still. And then they cut him. I think he had a fight in LFA, and then they brought him back because they decided that they actually want to invest in the division. So um, that's weird. Weird that they did that. But, um, like, weird that they cut him initially is what I'm saying. But um, to answer your second question about what flavor am I, it depends on the day. It depends on the day. One day I could be orange juice. Next I could be apple juice. Next I could be green juice. Could be grapefruit. Who knows? There's a lot of flavors um, dwelling within me. <clears throat> yeah, that's probably uh, cringeworthy. Okay, moving on. <laughs> oh, this is this is great. This is a great question. Um, um, this the title of it says tribute to a regular on the show. Let's see if you guys can guess who it is. Juice baby, this is the only way it's MMA, and I've got a question for you, baby. It's regarding Kobe Covington chaos. Do you think he gets a win this baby this weekend, baby? Do you, baby? Peace out, baby. Oh, so terrible! What a <laughs> that was so funny. Oh, first off, love that guy. The only way is MMA. Uh, you heard him mentioned earlier. Um, AJ, the Giants' dad, said uh, "fuck you." So that's basically who he was talking about. Um, one of my favorite things in the world is people from Europe, whether it's the UK, 
Scotland, Ireland, Great Britain, England, wherever the fuck. French people, not really French people, they have such thick accents that they don't usually try, but though people from that part of the world attempting to do an American dialect, it is so funny to me. It is so funny. It usually sounds like a fucking um, a mentally challenged cowboy, uh, and the fact that he chose to imitate PTD was hilarious to me. <laughs> What's going on, baby? Oh, man. More, more of that, please. More of that. More uh, impersonations of American accents from people that don't speak with one. We need that. We need that because everyone from that part of the world uh, says that Americans cannot do their uh, dialects and accents. Well, you can't do ours either, motherfucker. And uh, that actually wasn't bad uh, from, from Chris. To answer your question, do I think Colby gets a win? Hell no. I mean, probably. Um, as much as we all hate him, we forget that he's he's a damn good fighter. But... Am I going to fucking root for him? Am I going to fucking... Is this a... Do you think this is a podcast that's going to say nice things about Colby Covington? Get a walking stick and take a hike, Colby Covington. And that is a great segue for the last voice question we have from another friend of the show, my man. The title says, I'm drunk and looking for a fight. (laughs) Juice, it's your boy Gangers. We repping all of New Jersey today, especially since out there on the Twitter machine you got those fucking cousin fucking inbred trolls disrespecting my beautiful state. Y'all know who you are. Fuck you. Hope you're having a better day than me. I'm in Asbury driving up and down the strip, sipping whiskey, looking for Benny's to run over. Brings me to my question. Benny's. Who's your favorite fighter ever to come out of New York? What's your boy now? That brings me to the next point. Benny's. I love it. Love this guy, dude. Uh, he's probably fishing right now. Probably listening to this podcast while fishing. Um, I hope that you uh, caught a nice one. Um, I hope the hitters are helping you out. That's his dogs. Fucking uh, Django and Murph, I believe, or Murphy. Um, love his dogs, love fucking Chris Genghis Black, love everything about that guy. Uh, my favorite fighter from New York. Now, this is this is an interesting question because there's there's so many great ones, and um, my personal favorite is probably Ally Aquinta. Um, I love that whole Sarah Longo team. I mean, him and like, Chris Weidman probably second, um, and Aljamain Sterling probably number three as well. Like that, those guys are fucking great, and I love Jared Gordon as well. I mean, people from New York are fucking awesome. Now. Um, Spending time there is not my favorite thing in the world. Um, Because actually going back to his fucking point earlier about people disrespecting New Jersey. Look, if you have never been to New Jersey and you you hear a lot of things from fucking uh, TV and you see the Jersey Shore and you think it's okay to shit on New Jersey and that it's a terrible place to live, take a visit, man. Come see me. Come to fucking Asbury Park where uh, Chris was just talking about. Go to fucking... uh, Freehold. I don't know. I'm just shouting out random places. But, dude, don't knock it till you try it. That's what I say as far as New Jersey comes. Uh, this is a great place to live, and I'm fucking proud to be living here. So, um, yes, we're repping all New Jersey today, Genghis. We're repping all New Jersey. Goddamn right. And um, that kind of ends the voice questions. Keep sending those. They're the best. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, like I said, more more uh, whack ass impressions because that tickles me. Um, but um, some really good questions actually in the forum, and um, a, a lot of people kind of sent them to me privately, but I'm going to um, read them on the show here. And uh, first one's from at all dumb posts. He says, when Jones choked out that waitress, was Dusada testing him? Did he pass the post-fight triple ball drug test? Do we have any clue if he was clean for that fight? The answer is, do we have proof? No. But is that going to stop me from making allegations? Absolutely not. Was he clean? Come on, dude. Is John Jones ever clean? He was at least on coke. I mean, that we can almost be sure of. Absolutely. As far as steroids, he pretty much has a get-out-of-jail-free card at this point, so who knows? Did it be so... I mean, you have to have, um, with the USADA program, you have to have... There's an app where the fighters have to update their location 24-7, basically, and obviously he's not going to update it right before he's going to the strip club and be like, hey, I'm at the strip club, guys. But, dude, can you fucking imagine... If he did, can you imagine him being like, oh, just uh, had a friend out in the town, so don't contact me. I'll, you know, see me tomorrow, whatever. And they decide that's the best time. And then after um, John Jones is uh, putting his hands on women, Jeff Nowitzki's outside being like, give me your piss. (laughs) I need a blood sample. Uh, That would love, dude, can we have a reality show with fucking Jeff Nowitzki and... I believe her name is Dawn or whomever like his his um, second in command with that program who runs the thing. Can we have a reality show on that? There's just them popping in on random fighters. I would be so here for that, dude. You want to keep Fight Pass alive while you're making us pay four ninety nine a month for ESPN Plus? Put out original content like that. Put out a fucking mini series of Jeff Nowitzki tracking down steroid users. Put that in there. That's what I say. Uh, this is another uh, great question. This is from at Justin Swingholm. Uh, this guy's a great follow, actually. Um, he's makes pretty good jokes, and then all of a sudden he'll do a 180 and be very serious and be like, "No, you guys, we have to be serious about this." So I kind of I kind of enjoy that. At Justin Swingholm says, in a little over a month, Ryan Bader will defend his heavyweight belt against Congo. Assuming Ryan cruises safely past Congo, what new adventures can Coker offer Ryan after that fight? It would appear that Bader has outclassed most of that organization in two different weight classes. Is it possible that lack of competition in Bellator would send Ryan knocking on the door of a different promotion, or does Scott keep his commodity and line up a cross-promotional fight? This is an awesome question, and I wish I could answer it better because we kind of have to see what happens. But that said... Um, I do favor him in the Congo fight, and so I think it is somewhat safe to assume, although especially at heavyweight, anything can happen, so that's sort of disrespectful, but um, Ryan has proven that his skill set is um, uh, very effective at heavyweight. Um, He's got power in his hands and wrestling that most of them can't handle, so um, I think that's an awesome matchup. And as far as what's next, yeah, I mean, especially the way that he got the belt by doing that whole tournament, I mean, anyone he didn't fight... He didn't have to because they didn't make it to the tournament. So um, in beating Mitrione and uh, Fedor and um, King Mo, 
he basically also beat Chael and Rampage, and um, well, he beat Fader to win the title. He basically also beat Frank Mir. There's not a lot to offer him, although if Frank Mir can um, can get a win and they line up that fight, um, that's a name I'm sure he'd like on his resume, and that's um, he's he's someone that's a draw. Frank Mir is personally my favorite heavyweight um, of all time. I love Frank Mir, so I would be here for that fight. And um, Bellator has a lot of stuff up their sleeve that they could. They could um, they could keep him. I don't think it would send him knocking on the door of a different promotion at all. Because I mean, Ryan Bader has been fighting for a while, so I'm not saying he's done by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think he has like five years of fighting left in him. I think maybe like three or so, three or four, maybe depending. At least before in his athletic prime, and um, Scott Coker, I think, can keep him very busy in that time between the two different divisions and with his relationship with Saka Kibara and, and Ryzen. Um, absolutely. Um, there's definitely a lot of fights they can make for him. So that's a great question. And I'd love to see it play out. Like, I don't, I don't have a definitive answer, but I just know there's something. I know that they, they got something for Ryan Bader up their sleeve. There's plenty for them to do. And then um, at Cody Labney says, do you think what Max is doing in his division is more impressive than what Mighty Mouse and Jones did based on the depth of weight class? And I like this question a lot, but I don't quite know how to answer it um, because it's so hard to compare the two. I mean, Jones, as of late, the the 205-pound division has been very shallow as of late, so his wins in recent years haven't looked that impressive. I mean, he beat Gustafson, which he had already beaten, um, but that wasn't... Um, people weren't saying that was his best performance. As far as Gustafson goes, they didn't think Gustafson showed up for that fight, so people aren't crediting that win. And then um, Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos aren't the biggest names, so and then John's John didn't give very good performances against them. But we got to remember, and, and and I'm not a fucking John Jones apologist by any stretch of the imagination, but his initial title run, he fought the who's who. Of, of 205 pounds, a lot of them in their prime or close to their prime. He fought Shogun. He fought Rampage. He fought Glover Teixeira. He fought Ryan Bader. He fought uh, fucking Rashad Evans. I mean, he really he really fought Husu, Daniel Cormier. So I think it's, it's up there. And I would compare it a little bit more to uh, GSP. Um, he's definitely dominating that weight class. It's, so, it's sort of similar to Mighty Mouse. I would say it's probably more impressive than than Mighty Mouse um, because Mighty Mouse did have that whole title defense streak, but he also did it on the cusp of that flyweight tournament at the birth of that division, whereas Max Holloway had to win basically 10 in a row before he got a title shot. He's basically the fe- featherweight Tony Ferguson. So that those wins were impressive as well, and I think they should be part of the conversation. He's won against Ricardo Lamas, uh, Cub Swanson. Uh, yeah, he had a lot. Of, he had a lot of interesting wins in that in that stretch, and of, of course Aldo back to back. You know, who was considered the greatest featherweight of all time before then, and um, finishing Anthony Pettis. I mean, yeah, I would say I, I would put it in between Mighty Mouse and John Jones. How's that? That's kind of. Uh, weird to say, but um, it's a very good question, and I and I think it deserves some um, some further dialogue on. And then um, Shane Terra says, 
and this guy had a lot of questions, but they were all really great, I think. He said, how do you feel about Mark Goddard and his point deduction for the illegal knee Gavin Tucker landed? Um, more so, do you think refs should do more things like eye pokes, keeping the fingers out a la Honest Jones, fence grabs to avoid takedowns, etc.? Or do you think referee involvement is optimal? Great question. First of all, uh, Mark Goddard isn't my favorite uh, referee. I think he deserves, or I think he, he gets more hate than he deserves. But um, he's one of the only refs that will actually do interviews and, and kind of explain his, the reason for certain calls. Um, I thought he was a little bit too uh, um, too quick to stand up um, Kamaru Usman and Tyron Woodley. And not that that would have changed the fight for Tyron. If anything, it would have maybe ended quicker. I don't know. But um, I, I just think he was he was too quick to stand them up and it wasn't, wasn't like he was like laying and praying. I mean, they were, he was moving on top and he was just like, all right, stand up, guys. I thought that was weird. But as far as the, the point deduction, I'm here for it. Uh, I think I think you have to give point deductions on all illegal strikes. Now, if there's something that was clearly accidental, that's a different story. Um, but uh, especially with the legal knees, you meant to throw that knee. You, there, there's no way, and you, and you have to be very clear about what a down opponent is in the back. The, your warning is in the back. That's what I think. I think they're they're too easy to to, to give warnings, and they're you got to remember that their warning is given in the back. They go over the rules in the back. Is there anything you don't, um, are you not clear on? Do you want me to show you anything? They have these meetings with every fighter before they go to the cage. Not right before, but, you know, during the warm-up and everything. So there's absolutely no reason for, for illegal strikes. Um, and they should be, they should be doing those, um, the point deductions more often. Um, the fingers and the, the fence grabbing. Dude, I said this, what was that guy, George something and the, um, uh, Atlanta fights 236. Love that guy. He was like, fuck it, point deduction. Fuck you. Get out of here. That's it. Um, I believe it was like the Max Griffin fight. More of that. We need more of that. Um, I think referee involvement um, is probably at a good level um, at the moment. But um, it's not to say that, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the saying, and, and I talked about this, um, you know, I've talked about this with, with Phil, the MMA dude. Um, if you're not improving, you're getting worse. And I think that as that saying can be applied to the state of refereeing in MMA. If we're not doing something about, I mean, the fact that we all complain about these calls and that, it, it says that there's something needs to be done. We need to be, it, the sport is growing. The conversation needs to be um, constant. Um, the action needs to be constant so um we, we can't just say you know the things are pretty good because the fights are pretty good you know there's always changes that can be made little tweaks and, and i think they can continue to assess that as far as refereeing goes and um yeah i'm here for point deduction i think it should happen more often now maybe that means they should shorten the round so that it's not always like you know because the thing is like a point deduction can be like detrimental in a three-round fight you know it can, it can make a, a close fight a draw when it doesn't need to be and that's probably why we don't see it more often. So maybe the, the point system, maybe the judging needs to be assessed. I mean, it definitely does. I've talked about that many times on this podcast, but um, it's very clear something needs to be done. Oh, we also said, um, what is your favorite Nico Price knockout? And um, I wanted to talk about this if he won, um, but I, I don't definitely don't want to kick a guy when he's down. Um, so I'll include the question. And I love the Randy Brown knockout, man. I mean, that fucking... Um, Hammer fist from the bottom is one of my favorite knockouts in general. I mean, that is just insane. So good stuff from Nico Price. Um, 
couple other questions from, from Shane. He said, do you think Cyborg has lost and will never retain her GOAT status? Um, c- kind of yes, but it's, it's, it's hard to say. I don't want to just be like, yeah, moving on. Because it deserves a little bit of conversation. And I, and I alluded to this earlier. We can't call Amanda the GOAT without admitting that Cyborg was the GOAT before her. We, we, can't, we can't just say Cyborg is, you know, a never was or a has been. Uh, without without um, giving her the credit she's due for being really a pioneer for women's MMA, for creating that 145-pound division across multiple organizations. That division exists for her, no matter what people say. You know, the win over Gina Carano, one of the most important fights in women's MMA history. So, and, and as far as never regaining, I guess, yeah, pretty much, but, like, only because it's clear that, you know, the torch has been passed, to Amanda, and I doubt they can they can agree on um, uh, a deal between Cyborg and the UFC to, to make that rematch. And even if they do, I would still favor Amanda. So um, I don't necessarily think that she can really get that status back. But she deserves to still be in that conversation. I mean, with uh, with with MMA as a whole, you know, we have debates all the time. It's like, oh, is it GSP? Is it John Jones? Mighty Mouse, these people deserve to be in. Anderson Silva, Fedor. I mean, there's so many like go discussions uh, as far as men's MMA is concerned. But when it comes to women, they're like, oh yeah, it's Amanda. Moving on. That's it. Book is closed. That's it. I mean, can they be number one and number two or one A? I mean, Cyborg is no uh, slouch, guys. She's legit. Um, just a, a few other questions from him at Shane Terra. He says, how do you think Max is going to do against Frankie 2.0, a.k.a. Alexander Volkanovsky? And I think that's going to be an amazing fight. I think uh, Volkanovsky is going to bring it to him. Uh, but I think Max really showed his takedown defense. And although um, Volkanovsky is more explosive, he's certainly bigger, uh, at least a little bit, than, than Frankie. And, um, but I don't think as far as like wrestling technique, it's better than Frankie's, so I don't see that going differently. Um, he does bring a different striking element. He stood toe-to-toe with Jose Aldo and kind of beat him in his own game. Um, I don't think he did any takedowns in that fight. So um, so what the hell. But, um, yeah, I, I favor Max in that fight. Although I think it's going to be a different fight. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we see the same fight, but I, see, I think we see the same result. I think, I think Max retains his title in that fight. Also, someone said, uh, this is a gentleman by the name of uh, John. Um, his handle is at becausefuckyou5. He says, who the fuck gave Edgar two rounds? Even though that wasn't meant to be part of this, I'm putting it in there because, yeah, what the fuck? Um, and I love Frankie, but I think he only won the first round. I think we've got to be honest about that. That was weird judging across the board. One judge had a 50-45. So disrespectful. Frankie won that first round. Don't come at me. And then one one judge had a what is it 48 46 or whatever the fucking three to two is get out of here it was one to four and that's it that's it shane Terra also said what's your favorite double knockdown in ufc history um my fa- i don't know if this counts he said double knockdown because i think this technically was a double knockout or at least they called it that was the um gray maynard versus rob the fuck is that guy's name he's actually became cyborg's nutritionist but um the guy that fought nate diaz on the ultimate fighter um that guy that that knockdown um was great because gray maynard essentially fucking 
knocked himself out with the slam and then started to argue with Joe. Joe doubled down on the replay. It was very similar to um, Alistair Reem and um, Stipe saying he tapped um, and um, being like, uh, what the fuck are you looking at? You are out, sir, um, as far as the Joe, Joe Rogan Gray Manor is concerned. So that, that's probably my favorite just because that sucked out. But um, an honorable mention for that, since it's not in the UFC, but uh, my favorite double knockdown in recent memory is Matt Mitrion versus Fedor. I mean, if you... Um, it was really down to like who recovered faster because they were both put on their ass at the same exact time. That was incredible. If you haven't watched that fight, go back and check it out. Matt Mitrione versus Fedor Milenko. Um, really good heavyweight fight. And then he said, how long after he retires is Frankie Edgar in the Hall of Fame? And this is an interesting question to me because, first off, Frankie's not done. We said that already. Uh, he said that. So... I don't want to be talking about him in the Hall of Fame, and I certainly don't want them to jump the gun on it like they did with fucking BJ Penn, where they inducted him before he was actually done, and I think they did that with Matt Hughes as well. Um, I would like to see them wait a few years after after retirement before they induct these guys in the Hall of Fame. Don't wait too long. Definitely don't do what they're doing to Jens Pulver and making him become a forgotten champion, but um, Frankie Ever is a Hall of Famer. That's not even a question. And I would hope it happens like, like give it two years, give it two years after he retires, let him enjoy some time with his family, let the division move on. So, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think when um, all said and done, we're going to look back fondly on Frankie's career. And no matter what happens in his last few fights, I think he'll know when to say when, Um, uh, you know, he's a very good family man. Uh, His family is very important to him. I think they're going to tell him when, and um, the UFC is definitely going to not induct him into the Hall of Fame shortly thereafter. So, like I said, I just hope I hope they give it like at least two years so we can kind of like move on and then and then be like, oh, Frankie, welcome back. And it's just, then it becomes bigger than it, you know would have been if it was immediate. Um, this is a good question from uh, at hectic one. Um, it says, "Do you want to see Frankie move down to 135? Who'd you like next for Neil?" Oh, this is a whole series of questions. Let me just take it one by one. Do, do I want to see Frankie move them to 135? At this point, I, and I kind of said it already, I'm like 80% on it. Like if he says, no, I'm staying at, at 145, I'm not going to be like up in arms about it. I'm not going to say he needs to move to 135, but I would like to see it at this point because it's something new and um, there's some uh, there's there's some excitement there at least. And I, and I think he can make that weight probably comfortably. So... Um, I would like to see. I would like to see him versus uh, Henry Cejudo. To be honest with you, uh, at some point, but I don't, I don't want to see it right away because Henry Cejudo's got a fucking long line of contenders that he needs to not be skipping over. Don't get me started on that. That I, I could do a whole podcast on Henry Cejudo skipping the line. Ugh, get out of here. Fight Aljo. Fight Benavidez. Fight those guys. I think Benavidez next, then Aljo. And then he said, "Who'd you like next for Neil?" Um, there's a lot of good fights for Jeff Neal at welterweight. I mean, welterweight is one of the more stacked divisions in the UFC. Um, so that's why they need, um, to do the, uh, um, 165 pound division, in my opinion. But I'd like to see maybe him versus Kevin Lee. That might be fun. Um, we've talked about on this podcast, um, Kevin Lee versus Ben Askren would be fun, but, um, there have been some reports and, um, I didn't want to talk about it until it was official, but there's been some reports that they're looking at doing Ben Askren versus Damian Maya, which is a fight I actually really enjoy. So um, if not, then, um, then let's do Kevin Lee. But actually, if they do Kevin Lee versus Ben Askren, 
I would see Damian Maya versus Jeff Neal. How about that? That'd be fun. And then he said, is Volk a quote-unquote better version of Frankie? And I, I don't like that. I don't like that phrasing. And I know he said quotes, so it's, I don't know if he's saying he's better, but is he, I mean, he's certainly the more like modern, uh, you know, MMA fighter kind of putting it all together seamlessly. Um, he works on his um, striking with the takedowns very well, as does Frankie. I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Um, but at this point, I don't know if we can say he's the better version. He's not really a, uh, he hasn't been proven in like a five round title fight. Uh, that Frankie has, so no, just kidding. Maybe we'll see. And then he said, "How do people on the East Coast stay up all night for Ryzen? I try my hardest, but I'm getting to realize I'm old and trash." Here's the thing, dude. We gotta stop calling people casuals for wanting to fucking go to sleep, dude. It's fucking one thirty in the morning in the East Coast. Just finished the fights, and I see people being like, "So excited for this rising card? Are you out of your fucking mind, dude?" I mean, if you if you're a night owl and you like work night shifts at work and you can get sleep, absolutely keep it going. But dude, I I do not want to watch Japanese MMA at two in the morning when I've just seen Frank Edgar lose. Get out of here! Come on! I mean, there's a place for rising, and I love it. Um, I don't love it as much as. UFC, obviously, in, in other promotions, but um, it has its place. Um, certainly, anytime they book uh, Felony, um, that's must see TV, in my opinion. Felony Charles Bennett, my man. Uh, it's like it's like Diet Pride, if we're honest. It's like Pride Light, um, New Pride, if you will. <laughs> like remember New Coke from the '80s. Um, but yeah, that's how I feel about that Pride Rising. I mean, fuck. Uh, this. <laughs> This gentleman, this question is from a gentleman by the name of G, uh, who changes his fucking avatar and Twitter handle once a week. Um, currently, it is um, Leon Season, I think, S-Z-N. Um, that's probably a soccer reference. Don't know anything about that. And um, so go follow him if that's still what it is. It's Leon S-Z-N underscore. Um, if uh, you listen to this podcast later, it's probably something else. He says, one... Favorite thing about Chris Hemsworth? Two, just how sexy is Chris Hemsworth? Those are kind of lumped together, so I'm just going to say it. Uh, favorite thing about Chris Hemsworth? He's damn sexy. And uh, his uh, performance in Cabin in the Woods is probably my favorite thing because it is so different after seeing him in um, in the Avengers. But is Thor the best Avenger? No. No, Thor is not the best Avenger. Now, the Thor series is, is one of my favorite of the um, Infinity Saga and of the MCU universe. Thor Ragnarok is probably the funniest um, of that saga. Uh, but come on, dude. It's, it's Iron Man. I mean, that's not, that's not even a question. <laughs> what? No. It was Iron Man is what I meant to say. And now it's Spider-Man because now Spider-Man's leading the charge. Fuck yeah. We already talked about this last episode. Spider-Man's the best, right? If you're not on board, fucking put on a vest with pockets. You, you know the drill. Put on a vest with pockets. And I don't even have to finish it because you know from listening to this podcast that that's what that means. Put on a vest of pockets. Take a hike. And then he says, favorite. <laughs> There's just so many questions, dude. Number four, favorite SpongeBob character? Uh, probably Squidward. But uh, just because uh, it makes me laugh how, how much he fails at everything. Um, and then he's like, I don't need to be here. Uh, it just makes me laugh. But um, other than that, probably Patrick. I mean, one of my favorite fucking 
moments in SpongeBob, and this is I can't even believe I'm talking about this on this podcast. But uh, it was when the uh, was it the Mermaid Man episode? I mean, there's been a few, but the one where he's like they have the belt, and he's like, "Oh, that's because you've got it set to M for Minnie. Turn it upside down and set it to W for Wombo. For Wombo. Come on, SpongeBob, Wombo." I Wombo, you Wombo, Wombology, the study of Wombo, this is first grade stuff here. I love Patrick. Yeah, fuck it. It's probably Patrick. But uh, Squidward Honorable Mention. And he says, Opinions and Leon. Um, I don't know if that's um, a sock reference or if that's um, talking about Leon Edwards. Either way, um, not interested. Uh, well, I'm more interested in Leon Edwards than I am in anything that has anything to do with soccer. But um, Leon Edwards is not someone I'm excited about. We already talked about it a little bit. Um, I do want to see um, him fight a high-caliber opponent next because he's on a, as much as I hate to admit, he's on an eight-fight winning streak. Um, so if they don't book Mazadal for the title, they probably should make that fight. But um, if they do, and I said this before, um, him versus Tywin Woodley is the fight to make, and they should make that. And if, if, if that's um, happening, um, then I'm going to be all, all on board on Leon. I mean, if he beats Tyron, I'm saying. Then, then then we can fucking get on the Leon train, but not until then. And then he says, Sosig or Towel? Dude, what the f- <laughs> This guy is one of the most interesting followers on my Twitter. I still have not figured him out yet, and it's, it's so confusing to me. Sosig or Towel? What is that? Dude. I'm 99% sure Sosig is a soccer reference. But Towel? Don't tell me that's a soccer reference. I mean, a Towel? What is that? You tell me that's someone's last name? Towel? Come on. That has to be made up. Fuck it. I'm going to say Towel. Fuck Sosig. I don't even I don't even know anything with Towel. God damn it. Uh, and he said, if I was to start a fight with you, which UFC fighter would you call upon to beat me? Um, that's easy. Francis Ngannou, R.I.P. Leon. Uh, just kidding. Well, what else am I gonna do? If I get, if I get to pick anyone, I'm gonna pick the fucking hardest hitter of all time. I mean, what the hell else? Oh, this is a great question. Next, this is from <laughs> Mixed to Doo at Mixed to Man. This guy is so uh, awesome. Um, if you don't follow him, you got to do this at. M-I-C-K-S-T-A-M-A-N. Um, he's always traveling, travels the world, and um, talks about different places, but he's also a fucking great fight fan, and um, uh, he's he's the shit. He's also, um, I don't know, just someone great to talk to, and a big supporter of this podcast. He says, what's one fighter you and your wife totally disagree on? I'm talking sleeping on the couch, make your own fucking dinner, lines getting drawn in this house, fighter. And her and I had a had a talk about this after I read that question. I was like, "Babe, I don't even I don't know how to answer this because we mostly agree on um, on like when it comes to MMA." Now, there are a couple times we've disagreed on a matchup, um, and it's so it, it's always so surprising to me. Um, and we're gonna talk about this. Um, we didn't know uh, no one actually brought this up, but I um, I put out a poll, and it's uh, it was obviously a joke. Um, I mean, it could never be anything more than a joke, but it was like. Oh, fantasy matchup. Who wins uh, between Amanda Nunes and Henry Cejudo? And I just think it's so funny that no one says, oh, we have to see how it plays out or, or you know, this this would be a banger or whatever. Everyone's like, 
either on one side saying, oh, Amanda's going to get killed, or the other side saying Henry's going to get killed. Like, why can't it be uh, even? I don't know. Interesting. But what, what I'm saying is like the side that says that, they say it's like, oh, absolutely, you're crazy if you think otherwise. Her and I have had disagreements like that on, on matchups more more than I can remember. Um, but a couple notable ones were um, we actually had tickets to uh, UFC 2, 217. And um, one of the fights I was looking forward to the most was um, Joanna Jacek versus uh, Rose Namajunas. And I was like, I was like, oh man, this is uh, this is a little too early for Rose. Uh, I think Joanna's going to take it. And she was like, nope, everyone's sleeping on Rose. You doubted my girl, and that's it, dude. And that's when I realized, like, well, I realized before this too, but especially in that, it kind of solidified it. My wife is so good at predicting upsets; it's insane. Because before that, she picked Cody Garbrandt to beat Dominic Cruz, and I and I felt like such an asshole too going into it because um, I love Cruz. Um, I think he's the, probably the best bantamweight of all time. Uh, at least one of them, and um, I, I loved his um, WC, WEC run, and I just love his mind, uh, the way he talks about fighting, so I'm a big fan of that guy, and um, <laughs> she was like, yay, Cody, and I was like, babe, babe, he's not ready, come on, Cruz, he, he dominated Uriah, and, uh, and Uriah's the one that's training Cody, how's Cody gonna beat him, and fucking shut everyone up in that fight, I mean, Cody... Uh, put on a clinic against Dominic Cruz. Um, so much that he hasn't even been in the octagon since. Um, so my wife is uh, great at predicting upsets. And um, this podcast would not be happening without her because she supports me in everything I do. And um, I honestly was like hitting a wall last night after the fucking uh, Olivier Aubameyang fight. I think I tweeted that it was putting me to sleep. I didn't mean literally like it was a, a, a exciting fight. It wasn't like a boring fight, but I was definitely falling asleep. So I just decided to put that joke out there. Um, but my wife was like, why don't you go walk the dogs? And I did that. And then I kind of fucking came back and I was fired up for the last three fights. Um, it was great. So thank you. Um, my wife, uh, shout out uh, her handles, uh, Kate, the cursed on Twitter. You should follow her. She's great. Oh, I missed one from uh, Shane Terra. He's had so many questions, but well, I appreciate that, dude. There's no limit on anything. This is the most important part of this podcast, and we're going to take any and all questions until it becomes like uh, too many, and then we might have to fucking just pick the best ones. But he said, if you had to compare um, his style to someone else, would you compare Holloway more to Connor or Adesanya or anyone else? And I kind of think he might be a hybrid of the two, and I never thought about it until that question was posed um, because... He definitely is like um, he's he's like Connor in that he's brilliant at the basics. I mean, say what you want about uh, Connor striking, um, about you know he used to throw a lot of spinning back kicks, and um, he he landed like against Max. He actually landed a couple front leg hook kicks. He used to do some unorthodox stuff, but it was all smoke and mirrors to set up the left hand. I mean, that's his big thing. He's really really good at using his boxing and getting into range for that whereas adesanya uh more uses um different flashy like elbows and knees and and faints a lot but i would say that um holloway faints almost as much um he uses a lot of those same it's like similar setups and the footwork is a little similar um uh, but the way he was walking down um uh frankie in this fight uh, max holloway he was reminding me of connor a little bit so um while i don't 
think Connor should be fighting anymore because he's just done everything he needs to. And I think he would just, I wish he would shut up on Twitter. I am really interested in um, um, Connor versus um, Holloway too, just because of how insane Holloway has looked since that fight and uh, uh, would favor him. So that's a good question. And 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 uh, if you go look on the post, um, that encourages a little bit of back and forth between him and that other guy, John. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of good interaction on this forum. That I like, I love that. I want to see the more of that. Um, and this other question comes from uh, at Inked Craig. He said, "Damn, I think I'm a bit late to the party." Spoiler alert: You're not. He said, "Who, in your opinion, is the featherweight goat? And if it's not Max, what does he have to do to get it away from um, Aldo? I guess." And here's the thing, yeah, um, Aldo really is or was the the greatest featherweight of all time. But then Max beat him twice, convincingly. So, and Chael said this before, fighting is one of those sports where you really can take things from your opponent in terms of like uh, shine and win streak and and, and stature and clout. Um, he took that um, that title from from Aldo with those back to back wins. I mean, if um, if he just beat him once and then Aldo, you know, continued to just take out all the other contenders and, and they never made that fight again, then we would be left with some questions. But there's absolutely no question, I think, after beating him twice. Like, Max is the greatest featherweight of all time at this point. Um, I mean, really, who else is there? But it, but it's definitely number one and number two. Great question. And then... <laughs> Oh, I love this account. A reusable shoe at reusable shoe, dude. When I he's, this is one of the first accounts I followed when I when I got on MMA Twitter, and uh, I think it was the night of the um, UFC Philadelphia card, Gaethje versus Barboza, and I was high off my fucking mind, and I was so like baffled at the amount of 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 like cool people that were on MMA Twitter and how my following just sort of like doubled um, within just a fucking blink of an eye. Cause shout out to no turn on stone, follow train, um, miss those. But uh, I saw a reusable shoe on there and being high off my mind, I fucking went on a tangent on, on Instagram. I think it's on my highlights still. If you follow my personal account, it's um, at Aaronish Jackson. And I was like, a reusable shoe. <laughs> I kind of I I'm, I still get a kick out of it every time I look at it, and his his is a great question. It's actually very insightful for a shoe. He says um, Figueredo has to be stuck in the weirdest position ever. How do we solve the madness of the rankings at 135? And he, here's the unfortunate thing. Or he, he meant 125 would clarify to so rankings at flyweight, let's say. Um, and yeah, he's in a weird position because they kind of made I think his last opponent escapes me. I want to say it was Formiga, but. Um, that was kind of like um, a little bit of a, a fight for for you know higher rank in the division. He lost that fight, and then he just beat um, Pantoja, who at present is ranked above him. Of course, they're going to swap that. I mean, he's sitting at number four, and Pantoja was number three, so um, he's definitely going to overtake that spot. But then, really, um, only thing, only two people that are above him are Formiga and Benavides. Formiga, who he lost to, but they're not going to put him into a title fight, and Benavides. Uh, I don't think they ever fought, but um, Benavides is next for Cejudo. I think in the in the backstage scrums, um, Figueroa was calling for an interim uh, fight between him and, uh, ben- and Benavides. Dude, if another fighter 
calls for an interim belt, I might lose my mind. I mean, that is a placeholder belt. That's not even a real belt. Why are you calling for a bookmark? I mean, it's so terrible. I mean, yes, fighters get more money for interim belts uh, because it's, it's treated as a title fight, so they just get more money than what, what they're making. So it makes sense financially for them to do that. But call for the fucking champion. Shoot your shot. Call Henry Cejudo, and if you don't get it, you maybe you'll be next. Interim belt. Kusem Makas, get out of here. Uh, but I do love that guy. Fucking God of War with the, with the hair paint. I love it. I'm all for it. So um, I want to see him fight anyone, really. Um, dude, him versus Tim Elliott would be a fun fight. I mean, I don't think Tim Elliott um, is like making a return soon. I don't know. But uh, I would love to see him versus Tim Elliott, even though that's a few steps back. Maybe him versus Sergio Pettis. Um, I know Sergio Pettis went up to Bantamweight, but I thought that's just because he thought they were closing the division. And all the um, flyweights um, had that option. So, uh, so yeah, maybe that. The next question is from MMA Gods, at Gods MMA. He said, it was great hearing Rogan tonight in a two-man booth. Let him breathe like a fine wine and get in that flow state of calling high-level MMA. Not sure the last time we had Rogan, just Rogan and Anik. What do you think? Do you prefer two or three? Who's your favorite commentators? Um, great question. I disagree with you a little bit on on um, him getting into a flow state. I think that was actually um, not beneficial for him. However, when he's in there with like someone like DC or Dominic Cruz, who obviously has firsthand knowledge on it, they tend to go off on more tangents because he's like, well, what do you think about this? And then they'll, they'll talk about moments in their own career and it just gets everyone off the rails. So ultimately for Rogan, a two-man booth is probably better, but then it also um, encourages someone like John Anik to sit back and, and not um, contribute as much. And we got a lot of fucking uh, weirdness from Rogan tonight um, as far as I'm concerned. But um, and I made this post. I'm not, I'm not so on board with the, the hate for Rogan. Um, I think he is uh, the shit, and um, he has his place. Uh, but I, I do also think it's time to start the conversation about other uh, talent in, in the broadcasting uh, space, if you will. But as far as my favorite, do I prefer two or three? It depends. With, with, when it comes to three, you really have to have the right blend. And I, and I said this before, um, they should be more um, willing to have some silence. And so a two-man booth is maybe better for that. Um, but it, as far as my favorite commentator, it's Mauro Ronaldo, hands down. Um, I love that guy. Um, he, him, uh, his, his documentary, Bipolar Rock and Roller, means a lot to me. Um, I did an episode on it in my other podcast, Mixed Martial Opinions. Uh, it's a shameless plug for that. Um, we're going to return soon. And um, um, I think episode 25, um, I talked about it. It's entitled Juicy versus Himself. <laughs> Funny enough. But uh, love Mauro Ronaldo. And then, do we have any more Twitter questions? Ba ba da ba. Oh, uh, Darren Carson at Darren Carson sixty eight says Frankie dropping to bantamweight at thirty seven years old. Is it too late for a serious run at the strap? Uh, I said I answered this earlier. No, I don't think it's too late. One or two wins, and they'll put him in a title fight like that against Hitsuhudo or whomever holds the belt at that time. So yeah, I don't think it's too late. Uh, but I do think that's really the only. Just, juncture for him uh or the only only step for him at this juncture and uh punk rock dad says why the fuck do we have to watch bj penn fight again dude you me same we're in the same wavelength about that um but i already talked about that 
and then um, these. I'm gonna I'm gonna show these next two questions because they're kind of related, and I'm gonna give my answer. It says um, bearded stoner at bearded stoner eighty eight says did Nunes break cyborg or is Spencer just that tough? And then um, Lord Mark of Asturia at of Asturia says think pre-usada cyborg would have finished Felicia. No, and I I don't think. Cyborg's performance is affected by USADA. I don't. Um, I think the weight cuts that they made her do to 140 were detrimental to her, her career. I think the um, uh, time the time she spent uh, in those wars maybe affected it. And this was maybe a product of of the finish from Amanda. But I think to to answer Beer Stoner's question, I think it's more credit to Spencer's toughness that that fight went the distance, not. Um, uh, Nunez breaking Cyborg. Cyborg looked good as ever, man. I think he was sharp. Um, the boxing was there. Uh, she was willing to engage. She uh, evaded the submission attempts. That was that was prime Cyborg, in my opinion. Um, I mean, at least back to her old form. So, um, no, I don't think that. But um, love that fight. And with that, I guess that wraps up the forum. Um, you guys are awesome. Keep that going. And without further ado, let's... Uh, Look ahead to next week's card in my home state, or currently, New Jersey. Here we go. UFC Newark, August 3rd, at the Prudential Center. Very much looking forward to this card. Um, it's doing New Jersey proud. Got some got some good names on there from some New Jersey talent. Um, more importantly, um, got some... Fun fights on the prelims, which is always fun for me. And little backstory briefly: I was supposed to attend this fight, and I'm not, so I'm kind of sad about that. But uh, should be a fun card. Uh, I was supposed to go. Well, first I applied for credentials. I mean, that's not happening, but that was just like a, you know, kind of shoot your shot type of thing. Um, but then um, um, uh, the punk rock dad and uh, Genghis and I were going to all get tickets, and I kind of missed the boat because the fucking day that they went on presale. I got into a car accident and um, didn't want to spend the dough without knowing how much it's going to cost me for the repairs. And then the fucking seats weren't available anymore. It was just the whole fucking thing. So not going. I'm going to watch from the comfort of my own home, which is not. Uh, it was a nice consolation prize, actually. So so there's that. Um, shout out to anyone who's going. I think also um, T-Cross from, from Twitter is also going to uh, be attending this. So um, shout out to you if you listen. And... Um, this is a little bit of new for the program because I'm not going to just talk about the main card and I'm not going to talk about all of the main card because, uh, to be honest, it's not, not, not every fight is worthy of talking about, in my opinion, for, for my own interest. So um, I want to just talk about the fights that piqued my interest. Um, these are fights that have some sort of a storyline behind them or, or something that I'm interested in. Uh, so it's going to be a few uh, prelim fights and a few main card fights. How about that? Um, first up is Mickey Gall versus Salim Tuari. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mickey Gall uh, is someone that I think, and he's a he's a New Jersey guy, but now trains in um, L.A., which I think is funny that um, I'm from there and now I live in New Jersey. He kind of flip-flopped. But um, Mickey Gall is someone that I think would be a very, like, high-level, not high-level, but what's, what's the word I'm looking for? A very much more touted prospect if they allowed him to kind of get more wins in the regional circuit and build some steam before they signed him. Um, we're kind of seeing him grow up in the UFC 
and he's working on his striking uh, with Joe Schilling. So that's coming leaps and bounds. Um, we saw him get uh, dominated by Randy Brown um, at the Garden, which is a dump, by the way. And and then he had a little bit of a layoff, then came back, and I think he was it was like a 69-second finish of George Sullivan, something like that, rear naked choke. And, and then after that, he... Um, uh, he lost to Diego Sanchez, which was just, it seemed like a terrible showing. But then it came out later that he had um, rhabdomyolysis during the fight, which is just unfathomable to me. I mean, my wife had rhabdo once, and it, it's kind of scary because uh, it's like muscle fatigue and um, kind of your kidneys shut down. Um, so you have to be under intense watch, and, and there's medication involved and stuff like that. So, um, um, the fact that he was in a cage fight and was suffering from rhabdo during it and didn't know, uh, scary shit. Uh, so credit to him for, for, I don't know, gutting that out, I guess. Um, even though it looked like he kind of gassed and didn't really show up for that fight. Um, I think with that information that he had rhabdo, it makes absolute sense. And so I think, I don't think we should be writing this guy off, um, right away in my opinion. So I like I like him in this fight. I, I like it. It's a good it's a good fight for him. Salim's not a big name, so even if he loses to him, uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's on the prelims. He can kind of get his feet wet, and uh, I hope he wins. I, I think it's a it's a good it's a good fight for him after this um, uh, layoff that he's had. It wasn't. I mean, he fought Diego Sanchez in March, so it's not like a huge layoff. But um, yeah, um, as far as like recovery from Rabdo, I think it's a good fight. Um, and another fight I'm intrigued about is um, Antonina Shevchenko versus Lucie Pudilova. Um, I had to kind of not get invested in her debut because she was fighting Roxy, and you know me, I'm Team Roxy number one. Uh, but um, I'm very kind of intrigued by her debut, and I I honestly don't know why she's fighting a flyweight because um, she's kind of big for flyweight and had some other fights in her career at uh, bantamweight. And her sister is the champion. And I don't see anyone beating um, Valentina for a long time. So, like, w- what are you doing? I mean, I, I think they would sell uh, a Shevchenko, like, Antonina Shevchenko versus Amanda fight more than they would sell a third fight with Vent- uh, Valentina at this juncture just because um, Valentina is 0-2 against her. And so... If you're looking for a path to the title, get a few nice wins at 135, which is kind of shallow at the moment. Um, that would be better for you. But she decided to go to flyweight, which for some reason uh, was more stacked these days because you had a lot of bantamweights drop down and a lot of starweights come up. Um, it's kind of the women's 165, if you will, which hasn't even happened. But uh, I like Antonia uh, in this fight. Uh, Lucier uh, looks good as of late, but um, Antonina... Um, I think just got a little bit exposed against Roxy as far as the grappling, but I don't see that happening against Lucier. So um, that's a that's a fun fight. Um, either way, it's a bang. I'm not I'm not putting a definitive uh, you know prediction on that. I just think it, it's going to be fun. And um, another fun fight is um, Lauren Murphy versus Mara Romero Borella. Uh, she's Italian, so Italian that name. And uh, you may not know this. That's a lot you probably do. There's a ton of Italians in New Jersey, like a ton of them. And um, 
Uh, they're going to probably definitely get behind her. I mean, she's literally like in Italy. So it's not like uh, she's not like uh, has the Italian-American crowd behind her. But the fact that she is Italian, I think the Italian-Americans are going to gravitate that toward that. Sort of like the um, the um, Irish in Boston, you know, for Connor and, and, and the other Irish fighters. And I don't know who I would favor in that fight. Probably Lauren. Um, she's uh, had more experience at a higher level. But, um, you know, it's not like she's not beatable. So that should be a fun scrap. They both come to fight. Um, I liked uh, Mara's debut a lot. And um, another um, gentleman's debut I liked. I mean, not another gentleman, but another fighter's debut I liked. This gentleman. Um, Kennedy Zichukwu. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it's a silent N at the beginning, I believe. Um, but he's fighting Darko Stasic. And I like Kennedy in this fight. He almost murdered Paul Craig. And Paul Craig got the last second submission, as he does in true Paul Craig fashion. And um, Darko Stasic is a, is a nice contender as well. But just the explosiveness and the, and the striking of Kennedy, I think, is going to play a huge factor. And um, I'm just excited to see it. Light, light heavyweights come to bang. Um, how much do I sound like Julian Lane in that? Terrible. But uh, they uh, they come to fight, and I'm, I'm here for it. And the next fight that intrigues me is um, Scott Holtzman versus Dong Hyun Ma, a.k.a. the Maestro. And um, this intrigued me for a couple different reasons. First of all, um, Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman, one of the, one of the more... Um, one of the funnier nicknames in MMA and parlay that into a hot sauce deal, which of course you're going to do that. Um, good on that company to, to get behind him and, and do that deal with him. Um, so I'm, I love that about him. And uh, he's kind of just a fun guy to watch in general. And Dong Hyun Ma, uh, someone who I will always enjoy watching because of the first time I saw him fight. And um, it's the, this was at UFC 199. And this was the first uh, live UFC event that I went to, uh, went with my, uh, good, good, good friend, Leo and, um, his girlfriend and, uh, Kayla is his name or her name. And, and my wife who at the time was just my girlfriend, Kate, the four of us went and we went early. Like we were one of like 20 people in the arena when this fight was going on, uh, against, um, Polo Reyes. It was uh, Marco Polo Reyes versus Dong Hyun Ma, and it ended up being fight of the night. And that was probably a fight of the year candidate. Uh, like just just an insane war. I mean, if Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit didn't happen that same year, and I mean three round fights rarely win fight of the year, um, that would have been uh, a front runner. But it was just an a, a amazing back and forth war. Lots of elbows and knees. And the fucking sounds of that in an empty arena were just chilling, dude. So I will always um, want to see Dung Hyun Ma fight because of that. Um, he's a fucking uh, hell of a fighter, in my opinion, for that. And uh, dude, UFC 199 was just such an amazing card. Can we just talk about that? I could do a whole episode on UFC 199. Uh, but I'm not going to because there's too much to talk about. And that's a shame. But actually, I did do an episode on UFC 199 on my other podcast, so go ahead and check that out. Mixed Martial Opinions it was one of the early episodes. Go and find it. Not easy, not, not hard to find. Very easy to find. And then this fight, Jim Miller versus Clay Guida. 
just going to double check. Is it the co-main event? Because it definitely should be. Because, I mean, if you're going to put Jim Miller on the card and not give him a co-main event slot in New Jersey, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, they're the co-main event. Good. And I was just... I'm just sort of, like, baffled that Jim Miller and Clay Guida have not fought yet. They've both been in the UFC for fucking ever. And Jim Miller has uh, some sort of UFC record of the most UFC fights. Not wins, but just overall fights in the UFC. I mean, he's been doing the damn thing for years, and so is Clay Guida. And they're both kind of at this juncture in their career where it's pretty clear they're not going to make a title run, and they're going to be used as sort of, like, litmus tests for... um, up-and-coming fighters or eventually, you know, stepping stones for them to make their name off of. But uh, they've both shown not a lot of signs of, like, wearing down in their older years. Like, I don't know how. Like, Jim Miller is a fucking tank of of a human, in my opinion. The fact that he has a Lyme disease and still competes at a high level is just insane to me. Um, he's repping Sparta, New Jersey uh, as a hometown crowd. Um when I was at the fights at UFC Atlantic City last year, um, Jim Miller got um, the second biggest pop of the night behind Frankie Edgar. So um, we love Jim Miller in New Jersey. And Clay Guida uh, is one of those guys that I think is like pretty well liked by most MMA fans. So that's a hell of a fight in my opinion. I think it's going to be uh, a dog fight. I don't know who I favor. Uh, I'm not going to make a prediction on that either way. Um, obviously, I'd like Jim Miller to win, being that he's a New Jersey guy, and um, being that his his um, his family is probably going to be watching. Uh, people always fight; they're hard out when their family's watching, and um, um, this could be. Um, I would I would hate to say this could be his last fight because um, I would hate to call for retirement, but he's just been been in there so long. Like, what what else is there for him? And um, Clay Guida seems to be at a similar stage of his career as well. Um, but it's a hell of a fight anyway, and I'm looking forward to it. And that brings us to the main event of the evening. Colby Maga Covington versus Ruthless Robbie Lawler. Now, if you think this is a podcast that says that's going to say nice things about Colby Covington, you're in the wrong podcast. But it is a podcast that is going to say nice things about Robbie Lawler. Um, Robbie Lawler is a fucking legend. And I've said it before. I think that term gets thrown around way too often in MMA and and it's sort of watered down to like, what does that even mean anymore? But he's someone that was in the early UFCs and then made his, his fucking run in strike force. I mean, uh, he has just been a warrior for years, never been in a boring fight and has actually had great success against wrestlers. I mean, he used to train with the Pat Militich camp, I believe. Uh, but he realized that they're um, terrible humans, and so he got a better camp. Um, I don't know. He probably bounced around, but he was at ATT for a while, and then when he lost the belt, he tr- you know moved to Black Zillions or what now is like the Combat Club or whatever. Henry Hooft and those guys. So um, I like Robbie at this stage in his career. He is even on his losses, he's looked good. Um, he gave RDA hell for five rounds, even though RDA put a clinic on him. He still made it a tough fight for him. Dude, that whole, I think it was probably in the second round of that fight. Go back and watch it. RDA is just unloading this like 20 punch combination on him. And Robbie Lawler 
is smiling, just like rolling with the punches up against the cage. It's chilling. And for that reason, I'm not counting Robbie Lawler out. I think his success against wrestlers has been proven. He slammed Ben Askren in, in Ben Askren's debut. And uh, um, he had those fights with Johnny Hendricks that went uh, very well, very close the first time. And then he won the second time. And then uh, pretty much Don, Johnny Hendricks just went on a huge downward trajectory since then. Um, Robbie Lawler, man. Um, I would love to be at this fight just to see him beat the shit out of Colby live. And I'm not co- counting Colby Covington out. Don't get me wrong. Um, as much as I think he is a garbage human um, and his gimmick is lame. And, and dude, don't tell me that it's working. I know that. There's so many people online that are just like, like if you say anything negative about Colby, like, oh, he's he's trash, he's an asshole. You're like, yeah, but it's working. It's getting you engaged. He knows what he's doing. He's playing the heel. Yeah, I know that. I don't give a shit. Am I, am I going to talk about him as, uh, uh, you know, a good business person? Am I going to say like, oh, he's a good entertainer? Fuck that. Dude, CM Punk had one of the best answers to this, in my opinion, um, he was on um, Errol Hawani's show, and um, obviously Punk trains with uh, Duke Rufus, and um, this was one time Woodley was still the champion, and they were talking about booking him versus um, Colby, Tyron versus Colby, and he was saying, uh, Ariel said, can you respect what he's doing, you coming from the pro wrestling world, um, um, can you respect that sort of um, approach to, to fight promotion? And CM Punk said, absolutely not. He's like, in 2000, I think it was 18 at the time, but in, in this case, 2019, just to say that you're a heel uh, for fucking MMA is not cutting it, dude. He's saying he's targeting the lowest common denominator, and I agree. I agree. So for that, fuck you, Colby. Uh, and I'm picking Robbie. That's really the only um, pick I'm going to give here because um, I'm not... Uh, th- these fights are so close that I'm never someone that cared about um, getting fights right. I don't think you listen to this podcast for my predictions. I don't think you're looking for for my hot takes on who's going to win fights. Um, There are better podcasts for that. Shout out Split Podcast. You know, shout out MMA Marks. Um, Buddy, I think, pretty much picked the whole fight card top to bottom uh, correctly for for UFC 240. So you guys should check out his podcast. I'm pretty sure he swept the board, which is just insane, you know, including all the early prelims. But... um, I'm gonna pick Robbie, cause fuck that. I'm I'm putting it out there in the universe that I want Robbie to win. And um, if if Colby wins, uh, a boring decision. I don't think they're gonna give him the title shot. So, I would like to see him get knocked the fuck out. And on that note, <laughs> oh man, how often do you end a podcast by saying? I want to see that guy get fucking knocked out. Anyways, guys, thanks for joining us. But that's where we're at at this stage. But this is a this is a fun card. Um, UFC 240 was a lot of fun, despite it being not worthy of a of a sixty dollar pay per view. That's an interesting conversation because if if pay per views were forty dollars, I think more people would uh, would buy them and, and not not look for streams and not. Uh, um, complain about the, the depth of the card um that's something to look at ufc doubt they're listening but uh you guys are amazing thank you for all the support uh 
If you're tuning into this podcast because you checked out the Roxy episode for the first time, uh, God bless you. Um, that episode is uh, was very important to me, very near and dear to my heart, um, something that needed to be recorded. And um, I got a lot of new listeners off of that, so I hope that continues. And thank you so much. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, which you probably already do, probably how you heard about this podcast. Um, if not, definitely check me out on there. It's at FWM underscore pod. Um, if you're one of the two people that's on Instagram, um, go on Instagram and follow me, the same handle, at FWM underscore pod. Um, other than that, keep the conversation going. Um, the forum is always going to be um, active on fight nights. It's uh, one of the best parts about this podcast. And uh, leave a goddamn five-star review, huh? Jesus. Well, thank you for joining me, and until next time, good night and good fights.